All those comics, all the games, all those toys, all the TV, the animation. Just give us, just give us one hour and 45 minutes and we will give you everything more. Hello! Hello! Marvelites, this is This Week in Marvel, episode number 296. Oh my god, we're doing it. We Almost. are the longest running comics podcast in history. That can't be we true. We are longer John Suntress's run- word balloon has definitely been going I've longer. I've never heard of that. <laughs> iFanboy, definitely going longer. That's, I'm unfamiliar. Um... I don't know very many other comic yeah, podcasts. 296 episodes. <laughs> the gold standard of comic book <laughs> podcasts right here. Yeah. I'm Agent M, Ryan Fanagos. I'm Ben Morse, ex- digital yeah. director. Good man. One. Yeah. Thing. That's pretty accurate <laughs> that to how you good, right? That was very yourself. good. Yeah. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, I'm Ben Morse, editorial director of Marvel Digital Media. And I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Marvel's Agent MVP and executive editor of Marvel Digital Media. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to remember. It's a lot to pack in. Yep. Uh, So if you're just joining us, we're going to go through all the new comics out this week, the print issues, the digital stuff, the collections, single issues, all that good stuff. Uh, We're going to get to some news, talk about all the things happening across all the, as we say in in, in the uh, The corporate corporate world, the lines of business. The LOBs. LOBs. Love the LOBs. Um, But we'll we'll talk about all that fun stuff. The... Uh, as we are recording this on Thursday morning, the premiere of Spider-Man Homecoming mm. was just last night. Um, so we'll hopefully Christine and uh, Strami will talk about some I of that. I hope so. If not, they're really <laughs> dropping the ball. Yeah. Uh, Adri our, uh, from the social media team was out there with Jennifer Lai um, rocking it on the carpet. Christine mm-hmm. was there. I, I didn't see anything from Christine other than the party pictures yeah. after. She loves to party. So hopefully she was, you know, doing some some good work there. Yeah, I'm sure she was. I'm sure she was. Yeah, she always does. Uh, I did see a great, uh, great picture of Stromy. That's great what picture say, of Stromy right? uh, with some of the film studio executives, and he's just in the background. Mm-hmm. Looked terrific. A Stroma bomb. That is mm-hmm. wonderful. Patent it. Yes. Copyright it. Yeah. Make some money off. That's another T-shirt. Yes. I've got. So we've got three T-shirts now. We've got friendship is dope. Uh huh. T-shirt. Yep. Uh, recreating the Road Warriors pose that you put on Twitter. <laughs> or did you put it up? Or uh, So Henry up? Gilbert, who Henry is Gilbert. one of the co-hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, mm-hmm. Talking Simpsons. How many episodes? Uh, they're about 100. Okay, so not as long as us. Not nearly as no. long. No. Yeah. It's pathetic. <laughs> so <we> continue. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so speaking of t-shirts, uh, we have engaged... Um, Cafe Press mm-hmm. for Thwip t-shirts. Mm. T-shirts for Thwip, the big uh, Marvel show. How is Thwip getting t-shirts Hold before on. us? Well, because Judy is a really aggressive producer and That's she's true. on her stuff. So she, yeah. Do we even have a producer on this show? No. no. We certainly don't. <laughs> uh, we're flying by the seat of our pants yep. every week. Um, but the... Um, uh, we're engaging with Cafe Press about Thwip stuff okay. and seeing, I, I just want to see what that process is like, yeah, how, it goes, how it goes, if that's possible. And then, make um, it and then we can try to make some, some This Week of Marvel make, shirts. Make some magic. We can, we can sell tens of them. Yeah, tens. You know, and I'm okay with that. Tens of tens. Uh, but we would we definitely want tens to try to do that. So, so 
<laughs> Hopefully we can get those going. Uh, what else is going on? The trailer for Marvels and Humans dropped this morning. Yes. Um, all about that lock. Try. I, yeah, I have not gotten to watch it yet because I was busy putting together this, this document. This document. Yeah. So you're the so. de facto producer this week. I am the de facto producer this week. That's Send great. all your complaints to me. Yes. Um, we speaking of complaints, we had yeah. uh, a series of them last night. Last from, night, right? Um, I don't. Where's my phone? Uh, what was his name? I don't remember his name off the top of my head. We both engaged with him though. Yeah. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Yeah, yeah. He was he was terrific. He won't hear this for you know a couple of <laughs> weeks or months because uh, he's, behind. he's behind. But he's been listening to us for quite a long time and yep. i said we'd get to it uh talking about you know his thoughts on the podcast yes. and the quote-unquote new format yeah. which was new format about uh 20 episodes ago no, it's just the format it's just the format um uh my data won't load in mm. this uh hell this room that is hole. our recording area yeah um but he uh he brought up some good points and you know just talking about mm-hmm. the format and how he preferred it previously where we would spend a lot more time on every single comic yeah. um but you know and what i explained to him is that the changing the format was really helpful for us sure just it keeping invigorated us yeah keeping it fresh for us mm-hmm. and hopefully for you guys as well um because you know this is all just us doing it because we th- we want to yeah. and it's, it's fun yeah um so hopefully we still give you plenty of info about the comics and and make you excited to read them i mean i know we do because i see people get excited about the books that we talk about all the time mm-hmm. um but it's um i think he was re- i really do think he might have been the first one to like say he didn't like the I new format i can't recall anyone else uh, yeah. not being a fan of the new format um but so you know, yeah, you we go. always welcome the comments and criticism, Absolutely. so we'll dig into that a little bit more next week. Yep. Um, but for this week, let's dive into the issues we've got. Uh, first of my three picks is Black Panther number 15, um, which uh, is written by ta Coates, pencils yep. by Wilfredo Torres and Adam Gorham, inks by Terry Pallet and Adam Gorham, and colors by Laura Martin. Uh, so, yeah, ta tweeted about it the other day, and I retweeted him and said, I think this is my favorite episode, issue of the the book so far yep, me it, too. it's like it's got cool uh just cool action right off the top you're fighting uh we have like dora milaje fighting these you know awesome creatures mm-hmm. these these monsters uh we get a little bit about that there's so much cool mythology that Tanahasi and company are have been building throughout the series and here we're like really digging into some of those things. Yeah, I thought it you know it felt special to me when the Midnight Angels showed up at the beginning, which was kind of cool because they've only been out of the book for a couple issues. Yeah. Um when they showed back up and when they especially when they teamed up with T'Challa, I thought that was really cool because it's the first instance we've really had of them not being enemies but being tenuous allies and I like uh, their lines about him not giving them orders and his lines yeah. about Well, first you've yeah. got just Io and Anika like doing their thing. They're like they're adorable and badass so and much. so awesome, yeah, you know, in every, like, bit that they're doing uh, together. Then you have this great moment where, like, they're even they're getting overwhelmed because yeah. there's just so many of these giant monsters that they're fighting. And then, boom, show in shows up the cavalry, mm-hmm. you know, and, like, this great pose by T'Challa coming out. And he just starts kicking and punching and doing awesome stuff. And then there's talk of all the magic. Uh, and um, uh, Shuri. Shuri, like... We we got we're, we've been getting info on like who she is now yeah. and like how her this power that she has her connection to Wakanda's history and Wakanda's like myths and legends and real figures and all this cool stuff and it was awesome. There's a she she basically you like taps into some of that in here mm-hmm. and uh, she's like 
you know, do you have ideas to fight this? I have stories. I have a nation. And mm-hmm. she pulls up like these kind of like zombie things that, you know, pop out of the ground. Normally you would be concerned if something like this turned up. Yeah. But in this case, it is a, uh, it's a relief. I also like, sorry, just to jump in, um, the, the characterization of T'Challa's outfit and the use of tech is consistent. Yeah. Um, just the cool like overlays and like circles and stuff like that. I'm glad to see that's something like all the artists have adopted because it's really totally. Cool. Yeah. It's it's got that like it's got Iron, the Iron Man, Man vibe. Yeah. The but Iron you know HUD. all Wakanda and yeah. all you know it's all Black Panthered out. Yep. Um, yeah. There's the line in here about the the Midnight Angels. Um, Black Panther is fighting. It says um, they're like. Uh, he says, Io protects Shuri while she is spellcasting. And uh, I was like, I do not know if we are ready to take orders from you again, T'Challa. And he's like, and I don't know if I'm ready to give them to you. Do as, I, <laughs> do as I ask, not because I order it, but because you know it to be correct. Yeah. And she's like, damn, that man always with the mind games. <laughs> uh, it's just this great back and forth. Things are not solid. No. Speaking of things not solid, oh. real quick okay. uh, aside. Okay. Glow. Glow. Did you finish it? Not yet. Oh, we we watched the last two episodes last night. I was um, I had doctor's appointment last night. Got it. Um, so I didn't get home till late. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am eight episodes in. Okay. I am very excited to finish it. I got my parents watching it. Nice. Um, so I'm excited to get their report, and I'll yeah. bring that to us next week. Yeah. But I've just been it's it's phenomenal. I yeah. love the the energy that they bring to it. Yep. I love the performances. Uh, it's really fun. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. And it's got many friends of the show. Yes. you got uh, Christopher Daniels, mm-hmm. Frankie Kazarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had Johnny Mundo yep. uh, on the show way yep. back when. Brodus Clay has stopped by the Brodus office. Clay. wants to again. Yep. I told you, he just sent me a tweet saying, like, I'm stopping by the office again. That's great. We get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, but and, it, How, and your mind was blown when I explained to you that Carlito was in it. Yeah, because I like his hair's all matted down, so you don't know it's him. And it's just he's so bulkier he than than he was yeah, when he was in WWE. Up since WWE times. Um, yeah, so that it was cool. You don't need to be a wrestling fan Not to enjoy all. the show Not at all. all. There's a great moment in episode five uh, where my favorite episode. Yes, yeah. where um, my favorite character in the show she has a revelation yep. about what wrestling is. It's amazing, and it's it's like it's I, if I could distill that yeah, scene, yeah, yeah. take that scene. And just show it to anyone, anyone who's, who's like not a wrestling who fan doesn't anyone, like yeah. care about wrestling, mm-hmm. and that is like this is what it is. This is what it is. This is you know like you can like it on any level, mm-hmm. but it's going to connect with you know some yeah. people because of this, some people with that. It's so good. Yeah, and also can we talk about the music? Oh, music is From so good. The jump when they use the warrior as the first song of yes. the whole show. Dare the music is when oh, dare, dare is was in, amazing. Yeah. Then it played over a montage, right? It played over a training as, montage. Yeah, it played over a training as montage. As it lo- always should. Yeah, as they're learning to wrestle. Yes, as they're learning to wrestle. wrestle. Oh, it's and so good. My wife did some research, she said, or she was reading an article, that they mm-hmm. did 12 weeks of training before that, yeah. doing the show, which I found extra fascinating because they learned how to perform and wrestle for over 12 weeks right. and then had to act like they didn't, didn't know, know how, how to, to do wrestle, it yeah. for a large part of the show, which yeah. is also incredible yeah, because tough. like to to pretend to not know how to do the thing you just learned how to do tough. is very difficult it's very difficult yeah did you see the uh dedication to chavo classic yes. in one of the episodes yep. yeah i think he was the one who trained them i believe i believe so yeah he uh was responsible for the training yeah and their gym is uh guerrero see there are chavo the gym that they trained there's a sign either says chavo uh-huh. or it says guerrero, guerrero. Um, cool. it was really cool there's lots of like stuff for wrestling fans in there yeah uh my only issue 
too much Mark Maron. Oh for man, me, you didn't like Mark Maron? The episode I like, three, I dug him a lot. I, I I enjoyed him, but like episode three was all about the dudes. Sure. And I am in the show for the gorgeous ladies of gorgeous wrestling, ladies of wrestling. All, all their drama, all yeah. the story, and all those relationships. Um, but I think by the end of the show, I really warmed up to up. him. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he, he wins you over. Um, if anyone is still on the fence about checking it out, if you're an orange is the new black fan, yes. it's by the same people who did it. And I would say, I really enjoyed the early seasons of that show. I kind of fell off in the later seasons, uh-huh. but there's a very similar vibe. It's not the same show, but there's a similar humor. There's a similar kind of format in terms of spotlighting the different women. So if you enjoyed orange is the new black, you should definitely be giving glow a shot. Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, it's so terrific. It's so good. It has nothing to do with Marvel. No. Other than it's on our, nope. our, uh, the friends of Marvel Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Our yeah. partners. Yeah. Yeah. So we we're love Netflix. Yeah. We love doing that for them. Anyway. So back to Black Panther. Back to Black Panther. It's awesome. The art in this is super cool. There's a little bit of a Chris Sprouse vibe sure. in some of the art, which Makes is great sense. because yeah. Chris Sprouse has been on the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's coming back, I believe, next, back, issue. Yeah, next issue. Um, and it's it really cool. Colors, like especially you've got all kinds of cool magic going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's lots of like really wild color stuff going on when those things are happening that balances with sort of the, the re- quote-unquote regular things happening. Yeah. Uh, but Right now, Wakanda is like there's all kinds of interesting and dangerous stuff happening across Wakanda. And now they're starting to dig into it and figure out, all right, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. How does this affect us now? And then, you know, what does this mean? Where does this trace back to? What's mm-hmm. all going on? But I think one of the reasons Those why this pages. is my favorite issue yeah. are the last few pages of Black Panther and Storm talking. Yep. And particularly the last page, splash page, mm-hmm. and the the dialogue bit that is Black Panther's dialogue. I'm not going to spoil it here. Um, it's just like I read it just and it smiling. was just chills. Yeah, it's so it good. good. It's so friggin' good. Tanahasi Coates, man, he's uh, he's pretty good for a rookie. For a rookie, <laughs> uh, opposite of a rookie, we got Brian Michael Bendis who wrote Defenders number two with art by David Marquez, colors by Justin Ponzor. When we last left the Defenders, uh, Luke Cage had been was it, I believe he was all screwed up by Diamondback. It was poison? Is I, that I want what to say poison. He is under the care of Night Nurse. Jessica Jones finds him. Daredevil is consulting with Ben Urich. I love this Blade cameo. Yo. It's everything. I, and I love the way Bendis writes Night Nurse, and I particularly love the way Marquez draws Night Nurse as like this goth nurse. It's really cool. Super hot. Yeah. I love very it. Very hot. Badass, fan, and and she's a total badass. Like yeah. Jessica's like, we got to do this. She's like, no, this Chill. is my yep. hospital. We are doing things my yep. way. She yep. doesn't have any superpowers, but she stands straight and up. Jessica and she Jones back. keeps saying like, we got to get a real doctor in here. We got to get into the hospital. And Night Nurse is just like, do you want this all to go away? Yeah. So I'm glad. I hope Night Nurse is a recurring presence in the book. I also hope obnoxious Blade. Is a recurring presence in the book. Obnoxious, snipe-esque. Snipes, very snipe Like He's very Wesley Snipes-inspired, yep. and I am all about it. We get some great stuff with uh, Jessica and Luke. Then we get Iron Fist out of costume at the Guggenheim, where uh, Wilson Fisk is kind of turning things around. He's trying to, you know, put on a public show. A little yep. bit more of what we saw in uh, Matt Rosenberg's limited series. Yep. He's definitely trying to make it right. I think this is the first... 
One of the first meetings between Iron Fist and Wilson Fisk that I can recall. Hmm. I can't recall them being in the same orbit ever, really. Not in comics, no. I mean, Wilson acts like he's like, I don't know who you are. And then he says, you would know me if I covered like the top half of my face. Yeah. I mean, the Iron Fist mask. Um, But yeah, that's pretty cool. And then we go back to Diamondback, who is wondering. He's got, I love he's just sitting here at Club Ultimate. Yep. Awesome number one. Yep. And he's got this stacks of cash. He's just waiting to hear what happened to Luke Cage. And then, bam, beautiful panel. Marquez is just crazy on this book. He and, is on fire. And Ponzor is crazy on this yes, book, too. Yes. It's like it's like mood coloring. Yeah. It's very moody. Uh, Jessica Jones busts in, punches Diamondback right in the mush. Uh, Daredevil shows up. He has a great assault on Diamondback as well. They're just beating the crap out of this guy. Um, Iron Fist shows up as well. So it's basically all the defenders, Sansa Cage. But Diamondback's got some powers. And uh, we don't get to the bottom of that. But then the last page, oh, my God, it's everything. Um, somebody is in the mix now. Somebody shows up, and it's it's bonkers. Yeah. I, just, I love this book. I love... Keeping it small, keeping it the small cast of characters and their dynamic is really cool and Bendis gets them inside and out. But I also like integrating other little parts of the Marvel Universe, like the, the guy who shows up on Last Page, mm-hmm. Night Nurse, mm-hmm. um, Kingpin. Blade. Blade. I was just going to say Blade. Yeah. Um, it, Blade. It's just great. Yeah, Blade. Blade is awesome. Blade. Um, this is just an awesome book. It's really well done. You can tell it's Bendis doing what Bendis loves to do. Yeah. And then there's a... Uh, like there was in the first issue, there was a text piece on Luke Cage. There's a text piece on Daredevil in the back of this one, written by Joe Robbie Robertson, who I credit with the uh, article, not Brian Michael Bendis. No, no, no. Joe Robbie Robertson. No, yeah, I am also 1000% yeah. behind text pieces at the yeah. back of my comics great. that are in world because that is super fun. Super fun. And when, and when you can pull them off as well as Bendis does, then. All the better. Yeah. All right. Next cool. book is Doctor Afra. Number Star eight. Wars. Yeah, we do that. Star That's Wars. Star Wars song, right? It's pretty good. Uh, it is, is part five, the end of the Screaming Citadel. Citadel. Screaming Citadel has been a good time. Man. Hell yeah! It's been a great crossover. I love when Kieran and Jason uh, team up and write these books together. They yep. do a great job, and it really. Uh, it feels like an epic Star Wars adventure completely separate from the films, which I think is is challenging. I mean, you got to fit all this in. It's We know where these characters are going. We know where these characters have come from. But I think, and, and sorry, I know I'm talking a lot about your book, um, but just like characters like Afra and Sana Solo um, make it so much more interesting. And now this queen who they introduced here as the villain of this piece. Mm-hmm. It's just the world building they're doing is tremendous. Sorry, yeah. the floor is yours. No, all good. Uh, so we've got Kieran Gillen writing it, art by Andrea Brocardo, mm-hmm. Antonio Fabella on covers, uh, beautiful cover by Marco Cacchetto. Very nice. um, but yeah, so we're in the Screaming Citadel. There is uh, this, this woman, the queen, who she can sort of, she she has this whole elaborate thing once a year and uh, she takes interesting requests mm-hmm. and, and there's this, there's been this whole thing, but ultimately she has taken Luke in and infected him with a parasite yep. to be part of her hive and it's messed up. Yep. She think- mind controls everyone around her with these alien parasites that she's injecting. Yeah. And I will correct you. She actually did not put the parasite in Luke after put the parasite in Luke. Because Afra knew that um, he would have the willpower to overpower the parasite mm. and be able to vie for control with the queen. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yep. Um, but the last issue ended with Luke 
gaining that control, yep. becoming the, like the claiming king. himself to be king, yeah. uh, which was like that crazy moment. And here, just big time, you know, there's going to be a throwdown. The king and the queen going after each other. And she's been queen for a long time. She's been yeah. in control. Uh, and now that they're in this battle, the control has sort of like fallen away from most of the hive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know if they even call them a hive in here. But that's just the easiest way to, yeah. you know, like because it's this connected group all by this these parasites leading up to the queen and now the king. Uh, so the structure within uh, the Screaming Citadel is kind of falling apart. Um, they're trying to figure out, like you can see her subordinates losing their mind controlled mm-hmm. aspect, but thinking, okay, now we, we could be the top of the hive. Yeah. We can gain control. Uh, unfortunately, there's someone else, and unfortunately for them, there's someone else who's been infected, right. and that's Han Solo. Mm-hmm. So you got all that going on. Also, Dr. Aphra has this crystal that has the consciousness of an ancient Jedi in yep. it. And, you know, Aphra, Why not? she's all kinds of mischief. Mm. She's great. Uh, I do want to say that Andrea Bercato's art in here is awesome. There's little bits of, like, anime aspects, yeah. manga aspects in it at times. Uh, some really good, solid, like, clean cartooning lines. I freaking love the art. It was really, mm. really good. Good stuff. Uh, but we do. We get to see Han, who is in control and he sees Leia and Leia's like, Han, fight it. And it's one of those great things. Like it's a simple, very simple line, but I, I heard it in Carrie Fisher's voice. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. And then, you know, you start seeing a young, uh, Harrison Ford and he's like, everyone lower your weapons. And they start getting into things. And the great moment where he's unleashed the Wookiee because <laughs> Black Chrysanthemum is also been infected. Like yeah. this thing, these parasites are insidious. They're yeah, horrible. They're and they man. even talk about how like, we could tell the Empire, uh, we can call the Empire and tell them about these parasites. They are going to take that seriously. Yeah. They're not, like, rebels be damned. They have to deal with this because this could destroy the Empire sure. if let loose. Um, so we get to see a really cool mind battle between Jed, uh, Luke and his parasite and the Queen and her parasite. Uh, then the Jedi, these, this crystal, the Jedi consciousness mm-hmm. is also involved in the mix. And he is basically there like prodding Luke, like, come on, come on. You're going to yeah. be the best. Let's do this. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. I'll give you all the power. You're going to be awesome. Yeah. You just, you got to fight it. I'll tell you how to fight it. And then Again, it's all about Luke's willpower, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, he's like, you know, we could sl- slay the queen and move on and be awesome and do all this cool stuff. And he's like, nah, you're wrong. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And he's, you know, being a Jedi is about being, letting go, like just super cool Zen uh, Jedi stuff. It's badass. It's great. Um, the he's like the uh, what's this line? <clears throat> uh, she's she's like, wait, you are separating yourself from the parasite, which is crazy yeah. because you're not supposed to be able to do that. And he says, uh, she's like, you are, and he's like, feeling. And more than anything, the Jedi feel free. It's mm-hmm. just awesome, like super cool, very classic feeling star wars moments when he strikes down the evil queen and afro's looking off on the side like ho dang yeah what uh really cool stuff there's big battles black or uh han solo like trying to do his stuff too but there's also like that the parasites get inside you so they have to get the parasite out and of course uh we've got you know the droids in there they're doing all kinds of you know Dangerous, dangerous stuff. Um, what's his name? Triple Zero, Triple Zero with the like, ET. basically jabs a syringe into the back of Solo's neck. Yep, it's gross. Uh, just super cool stuff. It's really fun. There's a great moment as BT8 
BT8 or 88? BT8, I think. Um, <laughs> like a happy droid spinning away after burning everything. And like mm. just the, the sound effect, which kudos to who did the uh, Joe Caramagna. Uh, just like there. a simple like way to do bleep, but between the art and the the uh, the the lettering and mm-hmm. like you can mm-hmm. tell that that's a happy droid who has yeah. just burned everything Absolutely. it's really great uh really good character stuff awesome moment between afra and sana oh my did God. we know about that yeah we did yeah we knew about i that. guess i missed that it's okay but it's awesome it's okay. I was, it was Still really great. cool some really interesting emotional stuff it's it, they, i don't think they've ever been totally explicit about uh-huh. it so i give you that there's been a lot of lot of hints laid out yeah it's, it's i knew they had tons said. and tons of history I was, yeah i no, couldn't I, remember if they had touched upon it, that aspect yeah it's 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 been touched on but not like fully explored like it is here yeah uh really cool cool stuff that pushes the, the characters for a moment yes yeah. oh yeah the luke luke has the dopest lines mm-hmm. um I don't want to spoil that one. His last line to to Afra is one of my favorites. It's well, really this, great. this crossover has really been about the relationship between Luke and Afra in many ways. I mean, they're at the center of it, and yeah. the whole central conceit of the whole thing is that Luke is you know very trusting and very optimistic, wants to see the best in everyone, and sees the best in Afra, and that's and she in turn that's kind of inspired her yeah. to try to do a little better, and the way they end up is you know. Like you said, let's not spoil it, but it's uh, yeah, it's significant. Their so last, great. Their last few exchanges. Kieran crushing it on all the dialogue, all the character beats, um, really great stuff. And mm. then we get this, you know, super scary mm. epilogue to the whole story. And like, I love that it opens up possibilities and yeah. really cool stuff. And then we just get to look at what what's coming for next issue. And I love this book. Oh, good man, so good. Doctor Afra's great. Yeah, very good stuff. All right, let's stay in space. And uh, take a trip with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Why don't we? In issue number 20, written by Brandon Montclair, art by Natasha Bustos, colors by Tamara Von Villain. So Moon Girl is out in space. She got basically a distress signal when she thought there was this girl who had become lost on some planet somewhere. So she built a uh, spaceship that could carry her and devil dinosaur i love devil dinosaur's spacesuit oh my gosh where he's got this little you know his little bubble head but he's also like his tail's got its own separate i want section. a devil dinosaur toy in that spacesuit pretty good man so they meet um girl moon who turns out to be the daughter of ego the living planet ego basically ejected her from within his being and she became a moon orbiting ego she's so lonely because as moon girl explains um and also i love the fact that girl moon uh, is, is saying stuff and she's just like, oh, am I going too fast? And Moon Girl's like, sigh. Like, <laughs> you can't go too fast. I'm the smartest one there is. Uh, she draws out a diagram on Girl Moon of what happened, why she's facing away from Ego. Mm. She is, like, rotating around Ego, orbiting around Ego, and she never sees him. Yeah. So that's why she's so lonely. Such a heartbreaker. It's really heartbreaking. And then Girl Moon is just this, like, precocious character who, you know, she gets tickled and she uh, she – does all this stuff. Meanwhile, back on Earth, in a great aside, uh, Moon Girl has left a robot version of her to fill in so no one's any the wiser that Lunella has gone into space. The robot version plays dodgeball and just goes into this like crazy protocol where she just becomes awesome at dodgeball and just starts destroying all the other kids in the class. And I looked at all the other kids in the class. 
or they they know about her and Devil Dinosaur. They're, so they're like, oh no, she switched brains with the Tyrannosaurus again. They're like, yeah, she's Dodgeball Dinosaur, but it's really <laughs> just this crazy robot. And she throws a uh, ball at the coach, the gym teacher, and then just goes, I have to go to the girls' room. And we're back on Girl Moon, and they saw uh, these parasite things, these gross, nasty bug things are infesting. I mean, they're just they're native to Girl Moon. And they're giving her problems. So Moon Girl says, all right, we're going to go destroy them. She busts out her slingshot. Devil Dinosaur goes to town. Uh, she, uh, There's some great dialogue in here. Not dialogue. or It's uh, Moon Girl uh, narrating, talking about Devil Dinosaur and saying how awesome he is. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool how the relationships evolved yes. where he used to just be this pest that she was like, oh, my God, this freaking dinosaur is giving me trouble. Now she's just like, Devil Dinosaur is the best. I don't know how he puts up. He said, she says, I don't know how he puts up with me. Because Earth or Illa, which is the name of Girl Moon, uh, this living moon, there's nothing that's normal for Big Red, uh, talking about how he's out of time. So then one of the parasites destroy like the little hill that Girl Moon was using to communicate with them. She's like, oh no, she's been destroyed. Now we head back to Earth again for a dynamite exchange between the Lunella robot and the Doombot. And the Doombot's basically been like left in charge by the real Lunella. And, um,. I love Doombot's lines. Where have you been? Do you know what time it is? You make me question whether you can be trusted. What do you have to say for yourself? So says Doom. <laughs> he's like a dad bot. He's like a dad bot. And he's, and he's on a rocking horse. Yep. He's just sitting there chilling. Then we go back to Girl Moon where uh, everything's okay. It turns out Girl Moon survived. And Lunella's like, you know what? I will find a way to help you. We're going to figure stuff out. But first... I have to get back because the Omniwave generator is malfunctioning. So I don't know if this spaceship is going to work for long. And the spaceship might end up taking us to a different dimension. Who knows what's going to happen? And spoiler alert, it does take them to a different dimension where they meet up with a very different looking but familiar set of characters who they will butt heads with next issue. Yeah. Very cool. A lot of fun. Yep. It has. A, it reminds me of like just old school comics. Yeah. You know, like... It's fun. It's whimsical. It's silly. And there's like a level of suspension of disbelief you need to have. Absolutely. Like you don't like don't worry about why Devil Dinosaur is wearing a spacesuit. Yeah, he is. Don't great. He is. It's just it's dive awesome. in. Have fun with a comic. It's yeah. great. Um, all right. Next up, my my third pick. Yeah, third pick? is Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer's Supreme number nine. I feel like I've picked this you do. book you pick so it every, much every month. But that's it is okay. It's great. It's a great such book. a favorite of mine. Uh, written by Robbie Thompson, pencils by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Jar Car- Joe Caramagna. Mm-hmm. Um, it opens up inside this book. The book being this this magic. Um, basically science magic thing that has, it was a tool used by this crazy creature, the, the big bad throughout the, the series. Um, this thing that is made up of all hands, mm. uh, an amazing design. Handman, I believe is his name. <laughs> it's not Handman. No, not Handman. Um, okay. but, uh, mistake, sorry. yeah. Um, the, it's, you know, the word of God, forbidden magic type of thing. Um, what is the name of this creature? Uh, they're forgotten. So we it actually opens with this shot of the book, and you've got uh, you know some like you know thought boxes, uh, some caption boxes, and then some dialogue, and then you see the our heroes are climbing out of the book, like it, within the pages of the book, and then you open up to this two page spread, and Robbie and Javier and everybody like this is why I love this book so much. It's so great, it is, and it's so experimental and cool. They're just like pushing boundaries. I'll let you get. To it, it is a next. It's, it's really next neat. level comic book storytelling mm-hmm. it's so awesome you the the whole two-page spread is framed as a book you see the pages of the book you see the shadow of light on the book on the page 
but you have all the characters, you know, Wiccan, Doctor Strange, uh, you know, the the Ancient One, Howard the Duck. Everybody is climbing out just, of the book. Just just throw Howard the Duck in there, like he, he is, belongs. I know, he's but great. he's great. He's awesome in yeah. this. Yeah, uh, they're battling the the letters, the words. They're trying to climb out of of different aspects of the book. It reminds me of you know if you ever go to the Met or the Cloisters or whatever, mm-hmm. you have these ancient you know manuscripts that have really elaborate. Uh, text and they have pictures and the words it's just beautiful stuff that's kind of what they're climbing out of um, and you know part of what their their dialogue actually becomes what you see in the book they're fighting the letters they're monstrous uh, there's you know creatures throughout the book they're ripping the pages they're turning them parts of the book are coming out three dimensionally as they are uh, and then you know there's this Doctor Strange thinks he has a solution uh, you know actually pulling a page apart and turning into an origami business. And then it opens up to another two-page spread, which is just amazing. It's incredible. It's incredible. You know what I'd actually really like to see? What? I would love to see Robbie Thompson's scripts for this book because I want to know how he describes these cool visual things. Because this is not the first time they've done something really fun and experimental. Remember when they did the Choose Your Own Adventure adventure? issue? That was crazy. Like, I would love to see how Robbie frames it. I I may... I dare say I may ask the editors if I can take a look. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, it's just beautiful and can not, not stop giving enough praise to Jordi Belair and her colors mm-hmm. across every page of this. It is so vibrant and beautiful. It It's incredible. And the, just the, the way the shades of everything happen. And then we, you know, you got to see the forgotten one. He's got the ancient one in his grasp and Newton is a dick and he's uh, here Newton. and all kinds Newton. of crazy stuff. Uh, and then, you know, the the origami thing that they wrote in on that, that Doctor Strange and them were flying on is now a dragon. And this is just wild fight. And, of course, Doctor Strange, he's, he's tricky. Yeah. He's very, very, very tricky. tricky guy. Uh, but the forgotten one, you know, he's made up of all these hands and his, you know, the hands, two hands together. It's mm-hmm. like his mouth, his body, his uh, Eyeballs coming out of the palms of hands mm-hmm. for the way he sees. And he's, you know, let me show you true power. And uh, he realizes, no, no, no. He's been tricked. He set fire to this uh, origami thing, right. which was a page from the book, which is the book that's it's his power. Him, yeah. And he destroys himself or destroys his power base. And it's so cool. Um, and ultimately, the person who was narrating at the beginning of the book is Wicked. Yep. And th- that sort of comes back in. Wicked has this brutal moment he like just takes charge uh he's obviously pushing himself to the limit that's been a thread for the last couple of issues of you know he's his time period sorcerer supreme um and he is tapping into magics that are very very dangerous as are all the sorcerer supreme but when he's doing this he's you know like pushing his body to really dangerous limits and dr strange is like let me help you and he's like no 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 um so ultimately, they they have beaten this big bad, but they have a lot to still figure out. I'm excited about this. Yes. Uh, there's this really beautiful page of eight panels, characters sort of reflecting yep. on different things. Some good, some bad, some trying to figure out some what Howard. the hell to go is going on. What? Some Howard. Yes, yeah, some definitely some Howard, mm-hmm. uh, and of course Newton. He's just just the worst. A, such a great smug panel of Newton saying "fools, yeah. petulant fools, you've destroyed limitless power," and he's just like, "Ugh, you know, you're you're all the worst." He's a he's a jerk. Um, fortunately, he gets outsmarted mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, 
Ancient One gets, you know, sorted out. The Wiccan does what he needs to do. Wiccan is just using his powers like crazy. Like crazy. Mindful One. Mindful, the mindful One, one, one of our about, yeah. favorite characters who was seemingly destroyed, has this beautiful panel. Um, it's just, there's really, really great stuff. I love the background, Ancient One, just mm-hmm. like... Doing the posing. Yeah, he's he's getting, you know, he's working out his chi and, yep. you know, um, doing all this stuff. Uh, great character stuff throughout this book. And we're seeing this wrapping up. Wiccan is putting everybody back to where they came from, trying to clear the deck and make sure everything is is fine. Uh, and then there's just this horrifying, tragic moment, colored especially well by Jordy, and like taking what uh, you know, like shades and making him making Wiccan look really, really um, scary and dangerous and yeah. sick. It's such a great comic. I mm. really, really hope you're reading it. Good stuff. Um, the Punisher number 13 wraps up my picks for this week. It's written by Becky Cloonan. Guest start by Chris Anka, who was a yeah. cool little surprise and never, never, you wouldn't think of him as doing Punisher work. Yeah. So I'll yes. let you get to it. There's a thing I want to talk about the okay. way Punisher is uh, drawn and colored if you don't get to it. Okay. It's colored by Matthew Wilson, letters by Corey Petit. Basically, Punisher, after his road trip for the first. 12 issues of this series he is now back in new york um these kids on the street are playing with not a nintendo switch but the new stitch oh my gosh so that was a I great touch it. um and they see that a criminal has been um a criminal has been hung from a light pole and a signs on him saying ask me about the body i dumped and the kids just go he's back yeah and they realize punisher's back in town you know what? i don't want to drive past it this there's an awesome cover by uh declan shalvey too where it's just punisher walking the you see the back of punisher just walking up the steps of a subway blood just trailing behind i, his I shoes. love i think we've talked about in a previous episode yeah. how declan puts the punisher skull in every com every mm-hmm. cover in oh, one way shape yeah. or form i didn't even notice that oh yeah yeah so the building oh that's so in cool. the distance is the punisher skull that's amazing i didn't even know thank you for <laughs> that, is that so good. all right so basically punisher gets back from his, his his job he goes to his safe house he sees all his guns he drinks out of his nelson and murdoch mug <laughs> and then he just goes he sees an empty spot on his gun rack, just a tiny little missing thing, and he swears and he says, "This is why I don't take vacations." <laughs> Goes out, looks at the uh, footage, sees that these kids we saw earlier ha- somehow found the way into his safe house and took one of the guns. He's caught them, so the Punisher just goes. <laughs> I love it. He I love that uh, the kids like, "No, how did you find me?" And the Punisher just goes. Facebook. Uh, <laughs> you could just picture Frank just like saying these lines uh, and just being so like, um, but he goes, you know what I do to thieves? <laughs> he says, start talking. We find out that he fenced it. Uh, Punisher goes to the pawn shop uh, and he intimidates the guy. I love the way that um, I love the way that Anka draws Punisher. So his face is perpetually in shadow. That was is that what, what I was going to get to. It, I love it. It is such a, like if you could go choice. past it and maybe you miss it, but yep. I don't think there's one panel where you see his eyes in full. Well, right. you, you see like half of his face, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know that there's one panel where you see him complete. Maybe no. at the end he has a dialogue bit, but we'll every panel is half of Frank's face is in shadow or all of it in that. shadow. You just there's this ominous. Like yeah, you only see his eye there. Yeah, there's one or eye, there, half of him in, also, shadow. Like, the rest is in shadow. It's such a like a, it. It might be a little thing, but 
I found it so affecting no, throughout I agree. the entire I, issue. I, I, it, this this one might be my favorite use where it's just like this black specter over his face. Yeah. It looks like he just like got out of a feud with Papa Shango in 1992. <laughs> um, just black goo running all over his face. You're welcome, whoever got that. So he Punisher now finds out from the person who fenced his gun. His gun has been sold. He tracks it down to this woman. Um, who says, did Casey send you? We don't know who Casey is, but she's like, no, I'm here for a gun that you out at a pawn shop. And she's like, I don't have a gun. Leave me alone. This woman and her kid go back inside. And then the ex shows up and uh, shows up with a baseball bat to give some heat to this woman. And uh, and actually, it's not the, the ex right away. The ex goes in and then Punisher deals with like his goons outside. He's like, I need to talk to Casey. He's like, he'll be back in a few minutes. Come wait in the car with us. And then Punisher just starts wrecking shop, beats the crap out of these goons. Uh, says to one of the goons, like the goons begging him like, don't kill me, don't kill me. And Punisher just goes, get in the trunk. Yeah. Another awesome line. Uh, the woman who bought the gun is using it for self-defense, trying to protect her against this Casey slime bag. And then Punisher busts in. Now you can fully see the skull and everything still shadow on the face and saves the day, uh, takes down this creep. And yeah. this is this where we finally the, see. The so face. this yeah. is the only one because yeah. he's, he's not in like Punisher mode. destruction. Punisher. No, he's he's trying, he's actually trying to warn yeah. the woman to yeah. not shoot the gun. Yeah. And we and uh, she uh, she doesn't shoot the gun. Casey gets up, grabs the gun, puts it at Frank's head, and then we get the great payoff to yes. what's been going on this whole issue. And then um, Punisher throws Casey in the trunk. He drives off. He's got his gun back. He's the Punisher. He's awesome. He's got a dope John Wick like car oh. now. Yeah, he, like steals. I wouldn't know. I've never seen John Wick um, or John Wick too. What you know this? I thought you had finally no, seen Wick no, One at least. No, I've never seen Wick One. I never will. That is a thread for me. <laughs> I am standing fast on the fact that I will never see any oh, of the John Wicks. I will not do it. And anytime I see another movie, I will talk about how it was better than John Wick, despite my not having seen it. Um, this was a great one and done Punisher adventure. Chris Anka and Matt Wilson, superb on art. Becky Cloonan just writing a super fun Punisher story, but one that does not lessen his status as a badass in any way shape or form wow. he is the coolest guy in the room uh it's, it's just it, it, it's everything you want a punisher story to be i know you're a big punisher fan so the fact that you enjoyed this issue tells me that i was right to enjoy it hell yeah it was great great issue yeah all right, so we've got, uh, in addition to our regular picks, we've got two sort of eventy books that we want to make sure we touch upon uh, today. First one is Edge of Venom Averse. Edge of Venom Verse. Number Feels one. Feels like I should have a metal song written about it. Totally. Um, Edge of Venom Verse, number one, written by uh, Matt, Matt Rosenberg. Yep, Matt Rosenberg. Uh, pencils by Roland Boshi, inks by Roland Boshi with Adam Gorham. Adam Gorham did a lot of work this week. Busy guy. Yeah, colors by Daniel Dan Brown. Um, and it's cool. Edge of Venomverse um, is going to be this. This we have a couple of yep. one shots coming. I think up. it's I think it's a series of five one shots, um, much like Edge of Spider Verse, which we know introduced Spider Gwen and lots of other great characters. Yeah. This is going to be alternate reality tales of different characters getting the Venom symbiote and what happens. 
and um, yeah. it's going to lead into the Venomverse event that's coming up later this summer. Yeah, so this Edge of Venomverse uh, is about X-23, and we get to see a, a younger X-23 than we see in the, the current Marvel Universe, but this is an alternate universe, uh, and it's if for those of you who read the Twim URC with us, mm-hmm. you actually find this scene that we open in on very familiar, very familiar. Um, which I thought was really cool. We see X-23, because uh, she's not Laura here. She is still X-23, like... In the, you know, in the facility, and she's just tearing through people. Um, she's upset. She's trying to escape. And there's experiments that are happening here, not just with her. Uh, so she takes her claw. She opens up the a wall, and the symbiote that is there takes latches onto her. And that is the beginning of her journey. We get to see her um, sort of go a couple months later, and she gets introduced to these kids. The NYX church. kids. Yes, that's yeah. They yeah. are the MYX kids. They are right? the MYX kids. Cool. Yeah. Kid and Nixon and yes. All uh, great. So this is they're very much an alternate because I was like, Kid, that sounds yeah, familiar. sounds familiar, right? Okay, cool. Yep. I'm glad I wasn't crazy about that. Nope. Um, so we've got this this real alternate take, um, but now it's not just Laura with the her her powers and the claws and stuff. She now has the, a symbiote mm-hmm. and she is super dangerous and super super scary uh and the nyx kids sort of they click with her they, mm-hmm. they stick with her they understand that you know they're she's different um and they want to connect with her uh so we get to see how they bond some really interesting stuff um they are living on the street it's a tough life uh and this i thought was a really neat touch that the Venom symbiote is actually spread across all the kids. Mm-hmm. So it's not just uh, Laura's. She's given bits and pieces of it to each of them so that they can survive and they can live on the street. Uh, and it, it's still very dangerous for them. There's brutal fights going on. There's uh, scary stuff for the kids. Um, but it's also really cool looking at a, like just a snapshot of what this reality is. Mm-hmm. And we pull out as uh, X- Venomized X-23 is pulled away from her reality and there's a last page reveal which is a character who also has a Venom symbiote mm-hmm. on and it is very cool. Very it's cool. really, really cool and that will like, I'm sure that's going to be a thread we see going forward yeah. um, but big part of Venomverse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, at the end of the issue we get to see Edge of Venomverse through June, July, and August. September, we have the actual Venomverse series um, and finishes up in October. Yep. Secret Empire, still trucking along. Number five, I'm going to talk to Tom Brevoort and Alana Smith about this uh-huh. in depth later in this podcast. Hmm. Uh, Raph A.B. said we talked about Secret Empire four two weeks in a row. We did? Apparently. No. One of the weeks I wasn't here. Hmm. And then... You talked about the issue two weeks ago? Yeah. That's weird. I don't... I was here both times, and I don't remember covering it twice, but go figure. Yeah. So if you guys double the Secret Empire 4, and now double we're, giving dose. You, we're giving you a single uh, Secret Empire 5. Uh, Secret Empire 5 opens up with a great scene. Uh, again, I'm not going to go too in-depth with it, because yeah. we're going to go in-depth with Tom and Alana, yeah. but there's some cool stuff with Black Widow and Viper, with Black Widow's team. There's a mysterious guy here. There's just... Nick Spencer's just lining up, just big event after big event after big event. Um, we kind of get to follow the underground on tour. They go to Wakanda for a great scene yes. with Black Panther and uh, AI Iron Man. They find Shang-Chi, who supposedly has a shard of the cosmic cube in Madripoor, but he's lost it. You uh, see who took it. The Black Panther moment, too, mm. is also like, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And what, what he's like, no. 
you bring your shards to me. I'm the yeah. only one who knows what's who can actually handle any of this crap. Yeah. And like, bring it to me. We'll make it work. Yeah. It's not the other way around. Absolutely. Just because you, you're Iron Man, I'm the friggin' king of Wakanda. Yeah. Deal with it. Great stuff. Sunglasses pop down. <laughs> and we see them going off. They deal with Shang-Chi. They deal with that. There's a scene, a tense scene between Steve Rogers and Hank McCoy, where Steve Rogers basically, you know, demonstrates that he is not messing around anymore. He's not playing games. Uh, we find out a little bit more about Hydra's Avengers, how Scarlet Witch and Vision and Odin's son, why they're doing what they're doing. Nice scene between Steve and Madam Hydra, who has, like... I'm very curious to see where Madam Hydra goes out of this event because she has been built up great. Yeah. She's an awesome character. There's a lot to her, so I really want to see what happens. Um, the Underground heads home. Tony AI meets up with Giant Man and uh, the new Patriot, and they're building a time capsule, the purposes of which I'm not entirely clear on yet. Um, then Tony AI realizes there's a traitor in their midst. Ugh. They attack the Underground base. Meanwhile, the other Steve Rogers and his friends get ambushed by the worst possible. Just another big moment. Uh, and then the final big moment of the whole thing is Steve Rogers has a secret weapon that I did not see coming. Nope. I didn't know nothing about this, and it was great. Yeah. Ooh, boy. All right. So let's get into quick hits. Uh, we got all new Guardians of the Galaxy annual number one, written by Chad Bowers and Chris Sims, art by Danilo Bayruth, colors by Tamara Bonvillon. Uh, we have um, it's a Secret Empire tie in. So it's the Guardians of the Galaxy trying to get some aid. They're what they've been doing in Secret Empire already, trying to get someone to help Earth. No one wants to help out on Earth. Everyone hates Earth. Mantis says, hey, there's this place you can go that Galactus built a tuning fork that will help you get through the shield. So they need to get there. There's only one person who knows the way. Uh-oh, it's Yondu. Uh, it's the Yondu who we know more from the movies who uh, took Peter Quill when he was a kid. But he was in yeah. He was in the, um, the Star-Lord series. The Star-Lord series yep. that Sam Humphreys yep. wrote, uh, which I thought was cool. Bringing him Very back cool. and putting him, like, putting him back on the table was really neat. So they go to this planet. They fight a bunch of Punisher. This was a cool idea. This is... Before there was ever a Punisher, there was a character called the Punisher who was Galactus's robot. Yeah. So this is a planet manned entirely by Punisher units who are basically just protecting all the junk on this planet. Uh, the Guardians get into a big fight with them. There's aliens. There's robots. There's everything you could want. There's a big fight. Gamora has an awesome moment. She gets to be totally badass. And then Gamora has a great moment with uh, Yondu as well. And suffice to say... Uh, the Guardians do not necessarily get what they were looking for, but they do have a great adventure in the process. Yeah. All right. We've got uh, Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, number four, written by Peter David, art by Mark Bagley, John Dell, Andrew Hennessy, and Jason Keith. Uh, this is the we get we finally get to meet have Kane meet up with Ben uh, Ben Riley here. There's Vegas. There's explosions. There's all kinds of great Kane stuff. Uh, this what's this dude's name? Slade. Slate. Slate. I the more he's in the book, the more I dig him. Nice. He's cool. cool. He's a just a cool presence. There's a great moment with the the woman at the casino. Oh, the, who, the faux Aunt May. Yeah, the the yeah, fake Aunt May. Uh, great moments here. Just. Really cool action, great snappy Peter David dialogue, some cool emotional moments, uh, but ultimately it's all about that Ben and Kane action. Yep. And that's going to happen next issue. They're going to fight. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Over in Cable number 2, written by James Robinson, art by Carlos Pacheco, inks by Rafael Fonteras, 
colors Jesus Ubertov with Federico Blee and letters by Corey Petit. Cable has been traveling through time trying to figure out why this technology has gone into the wrong hands. Um, meanwhile, in Ameru Castle uh, in Japan, uh, a guy is basically uh, lording over all these people and uh, trying to um, trying to impose his will. And this guy, this mysterious uh, warrior with this awesome looking digital blade shows up and attacks. Uh, he meets up with a bunch of Ronin. He gives them a bunch of blades. Two weeks later, they attack Cable. Cable has an awesome fight with them. You get to see Cable kind of when he's separated from uh, his power. He get, like he doesn't even have his arm. He um, has to deal with all these crazy characters with their crazy weapons. And he just like totally embarrasses them, shreds this guy's clothes. It's awesome. Takes a ride and he's going now forward in time to uh, the Aztec Empire where more guys with more crazy weapons cables down to get to the bottom of all of it. I want to know who's funding all this. I'm excited for, for that review. Yeah, I know. I want to know who the big villain of all this is too. It seems yeah. like uh, Robinson's really building that up nicely. Yeah. All right. So the uh, last issue of Deadpool versus Punisher. Oh, also. I love this series. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So fun. Issue number five written by Fred Van Lente, art by Pere Perez, uh, colors by Ruth Redman, and it's this is full-on Deadpool versus Punisher action throughout most of this issue. There's really great stuff. Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. Uh, my favorite part in here, I mean, this is very like Looney Tunes battle as yeah, well. for sure. Uh, and Punisher is, he's doing his best, but Deadpool is essentially unkillable, and he's also just completely unhinged. Uh, so this battle is going on and on and on, and at one point... Deadpool is on top of Punisher, and he's about to stab him. And then Deadpool goes, wait, what did you say? Martha? Your mother's name is Martha? My mother's name is Martha. That, oh my, oh boy, I got I to gotta catch my breath for a second. This is, I mean, this changes everything, you know? And then... Oh, Fred Van Lente, he just can't resist, can he? It is great, but the that would be great on its own. Sure. But Punisher's response is, are you, are you doing a bit, or are you serious? Yeah. And do you even know? Yeah. And it's like really, really cool. And then it goes back to the bit. But um, I really love that like Punisher just trying to like, like he's getting so flustered and frustrated mm -hmm. with Deadpool and all this other stuff. There's uh, a lot of, you know, great back and forth, uh, good re resolution to the story. And um, one character meets a surprising end in my there's yeah. two. There are two endings for two characters in here, which are both surprising to yeah. me. Yeah, and there's a line from one of them, uh, which I was like, "Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's a really good cool. end." But yes, over in the Star Wars world, once again, we've got Droids Unplugged, written and drawn by Chris Eliopoulos, colors by Jordi Belair. We've got a series of stories. We've got Probe Droid Problem, events taking place on Tatooine during the Phantom Menace, and you get a silent adventure. With the probe droid, these are all backup stories, I believe, from previous issues, um, cool. which they're great. I and like giving you know any excuse to put you know more Chris Eliopoulos uh, Star Wars comics out there makes sure. me happy. So if you haven't read these yet, yep. totally check should. them out. Second story is called Droid Dilemma. It's an R two D two story again by Chris and Jordy. And then the final story of the issue is, which is my favorite is yep. Sabotage with two Bs. Um, it's BB eight basically helping two crazy kids in love make it work and trying to get them together. That's a fun story. I like that one a lot. Yeah. We've got Electra number five, written by Matt Owens, art by uh, Juan Cabral, 
Cabal, I should say. Colors by Antonio Fabela. And um, Arcade is in a giant, like, crazy-looking mech. And he's (laughs) fighting Elektra, and she's just pissed off. It's awesome. Uh, The, you know, her friend that she's helped save throughout this the series, uh, she's there as well. She's trying to, Elektra's trying to keep her safe while fighting this giant robot. Um, Really just lots of fun happening through this. Like, Elektra gets, like, a power-up to help fight uh, arcade and his giant robot so it's big action big adventure uh it's fun love seeing arcade get his ass kicked always good always always, always good we get a little bit of a like why arcade is doing this and uh, i like that he referenced the yeah. avengers arena stuff because that was the one thing about him being in this book it was like i was like oh, i hope it's not a total reset because he had some pretty significant character growth yeah and they definitely reference it and it all fits and i like how it's done yeah um and you know ultimately this sends Electra off on her mission she is going back to new york city uh-oh i am groot number two written by christopher hastings art by flaviano colors by marcio Menez and rochelle rosenberg letters by joe caramagna groot is in terminal a whole other dimension away from home he has been uh, helped out by this robot dog named Buddy, who is great, wonderful design. Buddy takes him to a village where they can actually understand him. And they say uh, there's a temple where there's a universal translator. So, of course, Groot wants to get there so he can uh, explain to everyone what's going on. People can actually understand him. Then this, uh, I think they're uh, some sort of ruler or officer of the planet uh, has their robots come back and inform them of what's going on at one point they lose their teeth it's all pretty crazy it's very all over the place there's there's sharks flying out of the sky there's dinosaurs there's bones getting chewed up yeah it's it's a weird book yeah um but it's a lot of fun and uh Groot makes it inside the temple where there are these big mouth creatures Fabiano really doing a great job oh, so on the designs um they want snacks. There's a hologram woman who is offering snacks. There's stuff going on with coins. Uh, and then there's this three-headed creature um, who understands what's going on with Groot. And the person who is reporting back, um, the, the ruler, the officer whose name we haven't gotten yet, saying, if they open the door that takes Groot home, it will destroy us all. Yeah. It's cool. It's mm-hmm. weird. And I, I, I dug the um, – there's one character who, like – can sense that Groot when Groot says I am Groot there's differences in the way he says right. it and all that stuff he says like there's stuff in his tone yeah it's obviously it's different himself. but I just don't understand it which yeah. I thought was cool alright we've got Infamous Iron Man number 9 written by Brian Michael Bendis art by Alex Malev colors by Matt Hollingsworth opens up with Tony Stark Sorcerer Supreme and Dr. um Dr. Doom having their conversation and Doom is just super out of it. He's freaked out. Uh, we've got this great conversation between. Oh man, this is everything. Yes. Johnny it's Storm everything. and the thing. It's yep. so like they touch on like what's going on with Reed and Made Sue. Me sad. Yeah. What's going on with their lives? What are they doing? Where are they? How they feel? It is really great emotional stuff. It, it got a little meta about like with them saying like, yeah, I tried to fit in on the guardians. I tried to fit in on the inhumans. Yeah. We don't really fit. Yeah. Um, it was it was very cool. It was a very interesting observation by Bendis. And yeah. Just a cool conversation. And then, you know, thing is like, oh, Johnny, I miss him too. Mm-hmm. Oh, brutal, sad. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Doom has been captured. He's on S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier because he passed out. Uh, Riri took him to S.H.I.E.L.D. And she's like, all right, I'm getting out of here. This is crazy. Uh, 
but he is on the shield helicarrier. There's this little battle between uh, shield people. Um, you know, they think, uh, you know, there's betrayals, there's craziness, there's death, there's people going after Doom's life because he's friggin' Doctor Doom. Yep. You, you know. Oh, show. Why is he alive? Why is he being held captive? He will break out. And, of course, something happens by the end of the issue and chaos and calamity for all. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Both. Uh, <laughs> Jean Grey number three, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Victor Ebenez, working off of layouts by Al Barrio Nuevo, colors by J. David Ramos and Dono Sanchez Almara, uh, letters by Travis Lanham. Jean is seeking out former hosts of the Phoenix, and in this issue, she seeks out Namor. So she goes underwater, and uh, Namor is, well, Jean gets caught by this giant, like, sea monster, this, like, sea dragon. Namor saves her from it. Then in the process, Namor ends up getting paralyzed because he gets stabbed with poison. And it's this great conversation between Gene and Namor where Gene's basically like, you're the only one who hosted the Phoenix and didn't change at all. How did you do it? And Namor's just like, well, you know, first of all, he's just very demeaning to her, very like <laughs> condescending, calls her like a guppy and all this other crap. Yeah. But then she, he's like, take a look in my mind. And she takes a look in his mind and uh-oh, turns out Namor really was affected by the Phoenix. Yeah. But the dynamic between them is great. Uh, Gene is just so full of like spunk and Namor is just, he's not sexy Namor in this issue. No. He's jerky Namor, yeah. which is the second best version of Namor. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's default Namor. Yeah, it's default Namor. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Mighty Captain Marvel, number six, Secret uh, Empire tie-in. You've just got the Captain Marvel leading Alpha Flight and the Guardians and some of the Ultimates against the ongoing, ever-present uh, wave of Chitauri just throwing themselves at Earth to try to get to their queen. Um, really cool stuff in here there's characters who were introduced earlier in this run uh and like one of them is stuck on earth one of them is on alpha flight uh, on the you know their headquarters and there's really deep sadness great stuff uh written by margie stoll um pencils by uh michelle bandini colors by eric arseniega uh loved the art in this issue especially like uh michelle's like facial uh, acting threat with all the characters really really good there's a lot of expressiveness throughout this uh, Captain Marvel is getting very frustrated through all this because she can't she's having a hard time saving everyone uh, and it's, it's coming to a head there's this beautiful one this big splash page towards the end as this giant wave of Chitari comes and it's just silent but Captain Marvel punches one of the what do they call it a dragon or the, the oh, I don't know what the, the, the Chitari like carriers yeah yeah let's the call big them that Chitari dragon things yeah <laughs> I don't Pun- think they have an official yeah. name yeah punching it right like right now, if in it was square. a big space whale carrying brood that would be the Akanti correct perhaps you're thinking of the Akanti no no this is not an Akanti fair enough uh, alien racer cheese <laughs> but punches it and it's just this cool ripple effect I love. That splash page, yep. but uh, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of war feelings throughout this. All right, backing it up for a sec. We should not have forgotten Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six number eleven, which adapts part two of the new Sinister Six, written by Kevin Burke and Chris Doc Wyatt, directed by Jay Woo Kim, and adapted by Joe Caramagna, busiest man in comics this week. Yeah, uh, and then. Let's flip right to Occupy Avengers number eight. All right, back on track. Uh, Occupy Avengers number eight, written by David F. Walker, art by Barton Morazzo and Jorge Coelho, colors by Matt Lopez. Uh, the Occupy Avengers team is existing in a world where Hydra has taken over. What are we looking at? No, I just who's on the art? 
That is Martin Morazzo and Jorge Coelho. Oh, it looks like Ramon Villalobos. Hmm, interesting. Um, he is not listed here, but maybe it is someone with a similar style to Ramon Villalobos. Or maybe it's Ramon Villalobos. We'll never know unless we ask somebody. Um, okay, so we've got Hawkeye um, as part of the underground, and we see what the other Occupy Avengers are up to. That, of course, consists of Nightshade, Red Wolf, uh, the Wheels guy, and the two Native Americans who they've recruited, the brothers. Um, they're all working together, trying to get food past these Hydra troops. Uh, Nighthawk is with them, but we get an incredible revelation about Nighthawk like this, right he, off the bat. This punched me right in yep, the stomach. I had a feeling. And I was like, wait, yeah. what is happening? If you're a fan of Nighthawk, you have to read this issue. And I do like the subtle ways it's reflected yep. in the art, but only once you realize what's going on. Yeah. Um, not going to spoil that. That's a big one. Um, but just cool stuff. We see stuff going on with Hawkeye and Black Widow with the rest of the underground. Uh, some funny Hawkeye stuff in the midst of all this like terrible Hydra just torturing the world. Um, I love Jorge Coelho's artistic contributions. He's just coming off Rocket Raccoon, which he did a great job on. Uh, there's some great stuff here. They try to infiltrate a Hydra base, um, and they get into a fight, which Nighthawk is very excited about. Yeah. All right. Um, next up, we've got Poe Dameron, number 16, written by Charles Soule, art by Angel Anzueta, colors by Arif Prianto, and um, just this pulls right after the uh, Poe Dameron annual. Yeah. That was like a couple weeks ago, so make sure you've read that one. But gorgeous art. Angel Anzueta and uh, Arif Prianto, really cool. Looks like we're like looking at the characters from the films. Super cool. It's very funny. It's, you know punchy action and, and adventure with the you know, Poe Dameron and the Black Squadron. Um, some really interesting stuff here with, um, what's his name? Um, the Terex. Terex, who is kind of almost lobotomized yep. at this point. Um, it's it's kind of sad. Yeah. It's brutal. It's almost like, uh, like the dude from... Like a almost like a like an evil Lobot. Oh yeah. In here, um, but it's it's super cool. Very funny stuff. You know, I love Charles writing this book. It's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Um, there's some ominous things going on, but you know, it's a cool moment for uh, the heroes here. Yep. They they actually get to pull out a big win that they need. Need it badly. Spider Gwen number twenty one, written by Jason Latour, art by Robbie Rodriguez, colors by Rico Renzi. Uh, we've got. A trial going on for Rhino, where it's Murdoch v. Nelson. Um, but there's some some shenanigans going mm -hmm. on over there and some mm -hmm. other stuff going on with uh, Captain Stacy. Over in Madripoor, that's where Gwen and Harry Osborn have gotten to. They're being chased by ninjas. They're being chased by Wolverine, or the equivalent of Wolverine in this dimension, and the equivalent of X-23. Crazy stuff going on. Harry Osborn's training to the lizard. He's pleading with Gwen to uh, make a sacrifice so that he doesn't have to be the lizard anymore. Um, and there's bad stuff going on for Captain Stacy, bad stuff going on for all the Stacys. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. All right. We've got Totally Awesome Hulk, number 20, written by Greg Pak, art by Robert Gill. This is part two of Weapons of Mutant Destruction. Very fun. Um, it opens up on the Republic of Santo Marco, and there are these polar bears uh, that threatening these three dudes. And then this 
this guy comes out of the jungle. He's got a bandit mask on, and he's big, strong dude, and he punches the polar bears. And that bummed me out because I love polar bears. I don't want to see them punched. But then turns out that one of these dudes on the beach is one of the like um, weapon X sentinel monster Whatever things. They are, yeah. Uh, and it murders the crap out of this dude. It's like this guy is a mutant, and he's brand new. We just meet him. I got super sad about that. I was like, man, oh, this guy, he's just helping people out. He's punching things. And then he just gets brutally murdered. It's rough. Yeah. Um, but while that's going on, the, the Weapon X team here, you know, you've got Lady Deathstrike. She's teaming up with Amadeus Cho. Old Man Logan is with Sabretooth and um, uh, Warpath. And they're all, like, trying to figure out where they're, where they're going and, and how they can. And Domino. Yes, yeah. thank you. Trying to figure out. The, the secrets behind all this these these killers um, really great stuff because behind it all with Weapon X is Re- Reverend Stryker mm. and mm. he is just bad news uh, so all his his you know evil mean church stuff uh, anti mutant hysteria uh, and like I like that evil mean church stuff <laughs> yeah because he's you know church is a good place and this yeah. is like evil mean church yeah. it's not nice right. um, but this is uh, we get to see like the weapon X lab so gross they have this mm. one candidate and they're beefing him up with all the Hulk stuff uh, so they make him really big really big really scary and you know they say that they've basically taken away. Um, they removed the brains uh, from most of the subjects, but they've left this subject's amygdala in place so he can feel the pain and process it into anger so he mm. becomes stronger because the angry, Fun. Yeah, angrier Hulk gets, the stronger he gets. Uh, but the gross part is he got too angry. Uh, he got angrier, he grew larger, and his flesh ripped away from his skeleton. It is gross. Super gross. Uh, but there's some really, really cool stuff in here with Amadeus and like Amadeus Cho. So great. Yeah. Love that character. Finally this week, we've got X-Men Blue number six, written by Colin Bunn, art by Ray Anthony Height and Ramon Box, inks by Mark Deering and Terry Pallet, colors by Irma Knivilla. I'm not going to drive past the awesome young Cyclops Magneto training bromance that's going on. The Cyclops loves to train. Magneto you know, wants to train him. Jean Grey just wants to go out in Madripoor. Uh, so Cyclops isn't available. She goes to Jimmy Hudson. The, Beast tags along as well. The Magneto Cyclops stuff. I was just thinking cats it. in the cradle and the, and the silver spoon. spoon. Can, we, can we play that on the show? Nope. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so Jimmy Hudson, Beast, and Gene go out into Madripoor where there's some mutant growth hormone being sold on the streets and they encounter a new team of mutants, a cool team of uh, Madriporian mutants who have massive respect for Wolverine. So when Jimmy pops the claws, they're like, oh man, we're going to we're going to work with you guys. They uh, work together. I love that. It's yeah. like like Patches, you know, legacy mm-hmm. lives legacy on. It's so patch, cool. These guys, they all wear uh, or one of them at least wears patches. Um do they all wear patches? No, just the one guy, the main guy. Yeah. Uh, he's called Norio. His companions are Gazing Nightshade, Whisperdoll, and Hexadecimal. Yeah. My favorite. Uh, we get a little montage of all the different villains who are threatening the X-Men, and they're saying, you know what? If you guys are out here, we want to work with you. You're a good team. So hopefully Colin has plans for these guys. And uh, basically, Gene says, we'll teach you the teachings of Charles Xavier if you teach us how to be ninjas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's like, sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, all right, those are the books out this week. We've oh got. Oh my god! I know a lot of books. Collections on sale include Doctor Strange Volume Two: The Last Days of Magic, Fantastic Four Epic Collection, The Master Plan of Doctor Doom, 
Fool Killer, Volume 1, Psychotherapy, a favorite of Ben's. Love it. Ghost Rider, Volume 1, Four on the Floor. Great Lakes Avengers, Volume 1, Same Old, Same Old. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, Volume 3, Smartest There Is. Prowler, Volume 1, Clone Conspiracy. Spider-Man, Web Spinners, Complete Collection. Thanos, Volume 1, Thanos Returns. And Thunderbolts, Volume 2, No Going Back. Also on the Marvel app this week, everything we discussed, as well as Web Spinners, Tales of Spider-Man, number 1 through 12, and numbers 15 through 18, Storm, the six-issue 2006 limited series, Spider-Man and the Secret Wars from 2009, issues 1 through 4, and Rawhide Kid, issues 17 through 35 from 1960. Digital collections on the app, we've got Fantastic Four Epic Collection, The Master Plan of Doctor Doom, Fool Killer Psychotherapy, which yes, I do recommend, Ghost Rider 4 on the Floor, Great Lakes Avengers, Same Old, Same Old, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Volume 3, The Smartest There Is, Prowler, Clone Conspiracy, Spider-Man, Web Spinners, The Complete Collection, Thanos Volume 1, Thanos Returns, Thunderbolts Volume 2, No Going Back, Alpha Flight Volume 2, Waxing Poetic, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 10, New Avengers, Excalibur Visionaries Alan Davis Volume 2, Spider-Man vs. Silver Sable, and finally Ecstatics Volume 4, Ecstatics vs. Avengers, which I love. Yes, very good. All right, freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited this week, we've got Amazing Spider-Man number 22, Avengers 2.1, Black Panther, World of Wakanda number 2, Cable from the uh, the original 90s run, mm-hmm. issues 15 through 19, 21 through 28, and 79. Yeah, because why not? Cage, number three, Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 16, Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, number six, Dr. Afra number two, Dr. Strange, number 15, Gamora, number one, Guardians of the Galaxy from the 90s run, 51 through 62, Invincible Iron Man, number two, Marvel Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 15, Mighty Captain Marvel, number zero, Occupy Avengers, number two, Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat, number 13, Power Man and Iron Fist Sweet Christmas Annual, number one, Punisher number seven, Silver Surfer number eight, Slapstick Infinite Comic number three, Solo number three, Spider Gwen number fifteen, Squadron Supreme number fourteen, Star Lord number one, Thanos number two, Ultimate Squared number two, Unbelievable Gwenpool number nine, Uncanny X Men number sixteen, Venom number two, and Wolverine number nine hundred. That was one of those one shots we published with all sorts of short stories and whatnot, I believe. If you say so. Yep. Uh, all right, guys, that is it for comics this week. But we have a little more coming up as I'm going to talk to Tom Brevoort and Alana Smith once again about Secret Empire number five. Then we're going to kick things over to Mark and Christine on the West Coast. Then all four of us are going to come back to talk a little bit about Executioner's Song Part 2. And then Ryan and I will be back with your questions and comments on Executioner's Song Part 2. And now, from Marvel Headquarters, it's This Week in Marvel News! All right, back with Tom Brevoort and Alana Smith. You guys Hello. spending way too much time in this room. I'm so sorry. You guys are trapped here with the rest no, of us. No, this is like a safety bunker. This is, oh, really? this is where, we're, where we're safe from the pressures and hazards we're of Secret of Empire. Life. Yeah, we're going to emerge and it's just going to be destroyed out there. Nick Lowe's going to be ruling the world. Apes are going to have true. taken over. Well, yeah, I said Nick Lowe. You said I, apes. Same, it's the same thing. Same, it's, basic, it's the same, basic. same basic principle. Yeah. 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 So, guys, Secret Empire number five is now available. It number came out this week. The halfway point. Wow. Yeah. Good yeah. job on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I want to talk about a bunch of stuff. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is the very beginning of this issue. We have Black Widow captured by the Viper. Yep. Um, Viper, interesting character to use here. Kind of all of Cap's lieutenants feel like they're plotting against him <laughs> at some degree or another. Well, it's kind of like when your organization is Hydra. Yeah, yeah. that's what that's, happens. It's, it's, again, it's almost in like 
you know, the the charter. Yeah, the hydro like charter you says you should working be working against them. Yeah. So, also, when the guy calling the shots is the guy who's like punched you out a billion sure. times, like, yeah, eh, <laughs> there's a limit to how long yeah. you're gonna tell the company line. Is Viper a little more overtly against him than everyone else though? Because she seems to like Black Widow knows what's going on and uses it against her. Right. right. I, th- I mean, I think to some degree we haven't seen it all. You know, uh, uh, you know, concretely everywhere yet, but in. Uh, in United, you know, we saw Zola and a couple of guys, right. you know, uh, Faustus. Pulling, yeah, Faustus pulling some shenanigans, uh, you know, that were outside of Cap. I think most of the the core Hydra crew mm. uh, will take advantage of of the opportunity that's that's that that that's left to them there. They'll again, like a like a like a disobedient uh, uh, a pet, you know, they'll toe the line yeah. when the when the you know the the, the owner is there, mm-hmm. but. You know they'll they'll you know piss on the carpet when you're not. <laughs> yeah, and plus the the Hydra that Cap remembers is not necessarily the Hydra that they are. Sure. Like he's trying to get. And he them remembers to be. this glorious organization. Yeah, yeah, that right. the Red Skull ruined, but yeah. they're the Red Skull's Hydra. The so Skull's it's kind of like they're the leftovers, and he's trying to be yeah. like, just be fresh. And they're yeah. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. What do you guys have to say about Black Widow's mission? She gets the kids to go undercover to save mm-hmm. this old guy. Yep. We mm-hmm. have no idea who he is. Can you drop us any breadcrumbs on He's that? He's an old guy. You don't He's know who he is. He's an old guy. We don't know who he is. Wink, wink. I've seen, yeah. I've seen a bunch of theories mm-hmm. uh, out in the world. Oh, I haven't read any of them yet. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There, there are a bunch looking. of interesting theories. Did anyone that, get that it fans, right? That fans have. Uh, as of as, as far as I've seen, okay. I, I hate to say no because then Someone there'll be one guy who one. will have and I just <laughs> yeah. hadn't seen that particular uh, you know, uh, conjecture or, mm-hmm. or thing. Uh, nobody that I've seen mm. has figured out who it is yet. Cool, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know it'll be a it'll be another surprising surprising figure. Mm-hmm. We've, got so, we've got so many of those. Mm-hmm. Where the you know Nick is Nick is trying. You know this is really built like um, you know, I liken it to uh, you know a, a Mark Miller uh, a, a crossover, a Mark Miller event. Um, you know when Mark did uh, Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, every issue had some big, uh, you know, set piece or big, you know, I think we, we used to call it, like, you know, it had the big Shazam. Every issue had a big Shazam in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Nick is kind of following that pattern in Secret Empire, that, that mm-hmm. every issue has at least one big, uh, you know, thing that you didn't know was there, some big right. shock or some big twist. You know, in some cases, there are two or three, but, uh, you know, really trying to, to, you know, fat pack these things with as much... Uh, uh, you know, uh, unexpected goodness as possible. So it's mm-hmm. not just the story. And this is why, at the outset, you know, as people were complaining, oh, we know what the story is, and they're gonna, it's all gonna be, you know, we said, no, no, no. There's, there's a lot more going on here yeah. than you realize. Mm-hmm. And now, halfway through, hopefully, people can kind of, even if they can't get a sense of everything, they can see like there's still a whole bunch of, of, of uh, weapons in the arsenal that haven't yeah. even, you know, been put onto the page yet. Yeah, I mean, before it was just the last page big reveal. Now it's going to, like, fourth page big reveals. Right. Mm-hmm. Still last page big reveals. And there's a reveal somewhere around page 27. Right. It's well, crazy. The, the, the problem is that Nick has about 27 last page reveals. Yeah. And yet only, <laughs> only like, 10 only 10 last pages. So yeah. sometimes we have to make the last page reveal in the middle Very and nice. then do more pages after the last page. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So from there, we jump to the Underground's continuing mission, flying across the world, trying to get the Cosmic Cube shards. Uh, it takes them to a few places, which we'll discuss. But we get it from Ant-Man's point of view. And I know Ant-Man, obviously, Scott Lang, a character Nick is familiar with. It's like an old pair of shoes, I guess, to have him be kind of the narrator here, yeah? Yeah, for certain. I mean, that's uh, you know, obviously, he wrote Ant-Man in... Uh 
in that last series for you know a good long while. Um, so he's very uh, simpatico with the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of one of the extended Nick Spencer cast of characters mm-hmm. that uh, yeah, a number, any number of whom are going to pass through this. You know, we saw Boomerang a yep. couple of issues mm-hmm. back, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see other characters that Nick has done. You know, he's doing more with Cloak and Dagger. Mm. He wrote Cloak and Dagger during uh, Spider Island, mm-hmm. and you know all these characters that he that are not necessarily who you think of as like the the first line of the of the the, the Marvel crew. Well, Ant Man's probably closer to that with sure. the, you know with the films now these days. But um, you know, but who he's got an attachment for and an affection for and is has spent time in their heads. Uh, you know, will will uh, will continue to show up and play yeah. a role. Yeah, and within that group too, he's just a good everyman. Like, cause he's yeah. just a dude. Like, so it's it's fun to have that perspective as all these cool heroes are jetting around the world trying mm-hmm. to, you know, save Cap and stuff. I love the scene in Wakanda. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes of the series so far. I love the Black Panther's attitude of, why would I give you my cosmic cube shard? Why would you not be bringing them all to me? Um, what's the rationale behind this? And why does Black Panther get to just be the coolest character in, he in is. comics? He is, isn't he? he? Is. Right. Yeah, He's really the much. coolest guy in the room. Pretty much, yeah. Well, this is not... Yeah, this is not Chala's first rodeo, and it's not his first rodeo <laughs> with 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 Tony Stark or with mm-hmm. a Tony Stark. You know, this is the AI Tony, but it's still yeah, effectively still Tony. Tony. You know, Chala's one of the guys that that actually remembers most, if not all, of all the Secret Wars stuff that mm-hmm. happened. Uh, he certainly remembers all of the dealings that the Illuminati had before that. You know, and and uh, Tony was a driver in all of that stuff, and you know he knows that. You know, Tony is ultimately a flawed character. Mm. For all that he's uh, a, a very smart guy, he's often, you know, hung up by his own hubris, his own sense of self-importance, his inability to trust other people, his inability to let go of something. And uh, you know, I think the Chala is a little bit more put together than that, and uh, you know, can can realize that that for all of of Stark's good intentions, sometimes. He's not necessarily the guy that you want to have walking around with yeah. the loaded pistol because he's liable to shoot himself in the foot or shoot somebody else in the knee. Yeah. I just like that T'Challa is the guy who gets to bank when we include the tie-in issues and everything else. He gets to make Cap look like a chump. <laughs> he gets to make Iron Man look like a chump. He's yeah. just, he's the best. Yeah, and in his <laughs> he's, defense, he's, too. He's so dreamy. Like, in his defense, too, like... Given the end of this issue, they would have been a lot better off if they left yep. the cube shards in Wakanda. Yeah, absolutely. Point. Like they should have just been like, "Oh yes, please take yeah. them." Yeah, yes, he's not. Them, he's not them. wrong. No, he's not wrong at all. <laughs> so, speaking of cube shards, we go to Shang Chi, who supposedly has one of the cube shards. Right. Does not have the cube shard anymore, taken away from him by White Queen. Correct. Yes. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. explicitly stated, but I thought it no, was I, pretty, I don't know, I don't pretty really, clear. I mean, I think it. it was. I think it, it, is. it was intended yeah. to be clear. Okay, it was clear. Um, good job. A, there's a line. You guys did a great job. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And that's where you know that that that's where the shard that's in Nushan mm-hmm. comes from. That's mm-hmm. where she got mm-hmm. it. That's that's yeah. uh, uh, how uh, how she's pulling the strings on Zorn and, and uh, how all that setup uh, you know kind of works. Not that Shang Chi knows that. So not that right. the rest no of the underground that. knows that. No. Only we. The yeah. inner circle uh, know that. And you, the listener at home, uh, who have now been informed. I, I also love, there's a lot of scenes I liked in this issue. It was a great issue. Um, but I love the Beast Steve Rogers scene mm-hmm. because it's so tense. And because Beast is such a lovable guy, mm-hmm. you just want the best for him. And when Steve threatens him, you're just like, oh, no, Steve. You got... <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, the thing that Nick has done brilliantly, one of the things he's done brilliantly is 
made Steve Rogers just good enough that you want to believe he can turn it around then when he does something like puts the screws to beast it really it hurts that much more come on leave that guy alone yeah right right (laughs) yeah yeah i saw i saw a couple things about how oh he's in he's in cahoots with steve and it's like not really steve kind of has a gun to his and his whole species's head like if he steps out of line there like that's it for the mutant homeland so you know like steve is absolutely right when he's like i'm counting on your compassion to mm-hmm. keep you from going against me because it will get all your people killed mm-hmm. so you know beast is doing the best he can in an impossible situation nice. yeah although i saw a lot of people or you know a certain segment you know who, who were not happy with that scene because they mm-hmm. felt like it was further character assassination of yes. of, uh, of hank mccoy really yeah i guess i guess hank's been you know hank's done a couple of things over the past couple of years that are you know a little on the dubious side whether mm-hmm. it was bringing the original five to the present mm-hmm. or or being involved uh, you know in in uh, the stuff with the inhumans although mm-hmm. he was the one that tried to get the other yeah, he tried to help everyone yeah. um but but uh you know uh, so, it's okay in my book so he's had a tough time him. and and some some x fans in particular are are unhappy that 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 he's sort of been on a downward slope mm-hmm. i don't necessarily see him in a in you know as a bad guy in this place i Not see him all. like yeah. alana said as a as a, a guy trying to do the best he can for everybody given yeah. uh, the set of circumstances Absolutely. yeah and i think for those fans of beast of which i am a very passionate one he yes. was my original favorite x-man oh, and wow. i love him to pieces who's your favorite x-man now uh it's probably still mostly beast okay, okay. uh i had a feeling i feel like it's the Let's love has it. been distributed okay. among a few others That's like nice. gambit you know the, it's a good the, editor the, answer the, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I, I think there are a few things coming up in certain other books that will nice. make Beast, Han- Beast fans very happy. Because so. the, the kind of fun, like, kind Beast is the one that I like the most. Sure. And, and he's, he's definitely showing up in a few more places outside there of Secret go. Empire. All right, guys. Pick up every other book we publish <laughs> to find Beast. He could be there. He you could be in know. anything. Uh, we get a little more insight into the Hydra Avengers, which I liked. We find out, you know, Scarlet Witch is possessed by Kathon. 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 Possessed by Kathon. Vision's got the uh, the virus going through him. Odin's son has basically just been told this is the only way to say. <laughs> actually, I, I'll let you guys explain better what's yeah. going on with Odin's son. How much do we know? How much I mean, do we know about his motivation? Poor guy doesn't understand Earth politics. Yeah. like he's kind of like oh, everyone's yelling. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy, like, and he seems like he's been okay. Yeah, he's class. always been okay. Why isn't it working this yeah. time? So, so I think it's just. You know he's he's a fish out of water mm. on Earth, and he hasn't paid any attention to any of that. Mm. So he's kind of in a situation where he's going with what he knows to the detriment. Sure, of this is very people. much. It's very much like those you know, any of the old classic stories where Odin would be corrupted or taken over or replaced by somebody and start doing bad stuff, and Thor would go along with it for a while mm. because it's Odin. He's all wise he must have a plan he must know what he's doing he's my father i i i follow him you know and it takes a while for thor to get to the point where he realizes no now i need to punch odin in the face <laughs> oh good thing that's not odin that was yeah. some, <laughs> some other guy dressed up as odin you know loki or a space pirate or whatever it's the same sort of thing but even more abstract in a sense mm-hmm. you know f- from thor's point of view 
um, you know, not only does he not pay any attention to Earth politics per se, but they all change so fast. You know, this morning for him, it was all like Vikings. Yeah, and sure. now mm-hmm. this afternoon, it's all whatever with the heck we are. And yeah. mm-hmm. in the evening, it'll be either guys in sky cities or a lot of monkeys running around in right. our, our radioactive ruins. Right, led by Nick Lowe. You know, led by Nick Lowe. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, right there, he's just got a different perspective where all this stuff kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He's got a long history with with Cap. He's stood by him. He was there to help pull him out of the ice. He recognizes him as one of the few who've been able to pick up his hammer, mm-hmm. other than himself. Uh, he can is now evidence that he can pick up his hammer when Odinson himself no Can't longer can it. and is right. no longer worthy and is a little bit broken and feeling not quite right. Mm-hmm. And so again, even though this all seems kind of shady and kind of widgy, like. The hammer knows best. Mm-hmm. It's my guy. Yeah, I don't feel right about it, but all the evidence I have says this is the thing. Mm-hmm. So he's confused and conflicted. We'll see a little bit more of that uh, in issues of uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America Ooh, coming it. up, particularly got 19. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's more with, with him in the next issue of, of Empire as well, 6. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because he's in sort of a, a a weird, conflicted place. Because he's also concerned about where is, uh, where is Jane Foster? Where is mm-hmm. Thor? That that hammer is here, and she's somewhere. She's else. somewhere else, yeah. uh, and that's a problem because right. you know he understands her her situation as well, and the fact mm-hmm. that she's Jane and she's got cancer, and without the the hammer, she's presumably not getting any medical treatment wherever mm-hmm. the heck she is, and. Uh, you know, this is this too is a is a problem and an issue, and probably the fulcrum on which, if he's gonna, uh, you know, switch sides or he's gonna have a, a turnaround, it's probably gonna come from there more than anywhere sure. else. Sure. We do learn the uh, mole in this issue. Do, do you or do we? <laughs> is there is there shenanigans afoot there too? Do we just well, think we know? I mole? think you should definitely believe everything that we tell you. Okay, you. interesting. You should definitely read that directly. All right, I'm gonna link. I'm gonna linger on that and just let you guys have that. So we end the issue. We'll talk. We'll talk I like that we had a perfectly synchronized. Was perfect. Yeah, that was great. You don't get that a lot. You guys have been working together long enough now. I think, I think his was like like. And mine was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what was in this issue? But they synced up pretty well. Yeah. They synced up pretty well. So we end this issue with two, not one, but two big uh, kind of WTF moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, one going on with the other Steve Rogers. Yep. And the other going on with our Steve Rogers. Yep. Both run into people who we would not necessarily expect to see. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it, but what can you guys say? treading carefully about these last two players well, very, who have now shown up. It's very Christmassy in terms of its themes. <laughs> yeah, very nice. <laughs> very well done. Um, you know, uh, I think the uh, you know the appearance of these characters, you know, they're both in different places and they're, they're both there for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in both cases, um, it's maybe not as much of a surprise as you might think. Hmm. Uh, you know that those characters are 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 back or here or or around, and again mm-hmm. we'll see more. Yeah, we'll see we'll see more of more revelations about one immediately in six, uh, and then more stuff about the other. You know, some more in six, but then again in seven and okay. and, and and moving ahead. Cool. Um, so uh, you know, again, hopefully. Uh, you know, again, both of those were, were surprising the people. Uh, even though, like I say, it's almost not a surprise that they're around, mm-hmm. given. 
uh, you know, all the stuff that we've done in the past sure. issues and, and, and given the sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, round the circle uh, uh, thematic plotting that, that Nick has been doing in terms of the central characters on this. It's not easy to talk about this when you don't want to no. name either of the characters. Doing a great job. So. Really, really <laughs> tremendous stuff. All right, guys, is there anything else you want to say about Secret Empire number five before we let you go back to the harsh outside reality until number six comes out? Well, read number six. Read number six. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, number six. Uh, for for uh, you know for those who have been uh, dismayed that there's not enough action mm. in uh, in these comic books. Who's that? Despite the fact that there's yeah, there's plenty of action. Um, but there's 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 more action. Okay. Uh, next issue as as uh, you know, Cap and the Avengers assault the mount and, mm-hmm. and the underground and, and we start to get a little more into the nitty gritty and we blow some stuff up and yeah. we throw some characters around right. and we make some more r- reveals and right. some other crazy stuff happens mm-hmm. um, and so and that it's one's all very pretty. It's, it's all, all very pretty, pretty. Yeah. Always. Great. yeah very <laughs> very nice lineal, uh, lineal work mm-hmm. nice um, and uh, uh, yeah like that so alright guys well thanks for stopping by and we'll uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks good cool. deal it's the West Coast, show me of the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me of the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me of the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me of the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me of the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, baby. Yeah, yeah. Hello, this week in Marvelites. This is Marvel.com editor Mark Strom, joined by assistant editor Christine Din. Und wir yada yada yada. Let's cut right into the news. Uh, this week we actually have news from every single line of business we cover. Yay! Uh, <laughs> I'll start things off with uh, TV. Yeah, sure. Let's start off with TV. Of course, uh, Marvels and Humans dropped their first trailer this week. You got mm-hmm. your first look at Lockjaw being adorable. Amazing. At at, uh, at Maximus doing all his Maximusy machinations. Um, we also got a new poster. I just get into the poster. Oh. God, you gotta step <laughs> all over my face. All right. Well, anyway, yeah, you got first look at at really the entire royal family, uh, <laughs> and a little tease of uh, what is in store for the series. Uh, of course. Uh, you can experience the first chapter in IMAX theaters for a two-week window starting September 1st before the full series debuts on uh, ABC September 29th. And, as Christine alluded to, we also released the first post... Well, first post? No. Well, the second I guess it's the second poster. Yeah. But it's the first poster that actually featured some of our uh, characters. We mm-hmm. got a new look at... Black Bolt, Medusa, and Maximus, uh, as you could probably predict from knowing the Inhumans in the royal family, those three play a very significant role in the series. Um, Black Bolt being the king and all, you know. Mm and uh, yeah, so you can check all that out on Marvel.com, on our YouTube, on all our social handles, on the Inhuman social handles. Just, you know, go on the interwebs and we are there. What else do we have in TV? In TV, in the world of TV, we have, uh, we announced our full uh, Marvel TV schedule for San Diego Comic-Con. We've got four, count them, four panels. On Thursday, July 20th, we've got a panel for Legion uh, from 5 to 6 p.m. in Ballroom 20. Awesome. Uh, You'll get to... uh, 
see some of the cast and producers and they'll chat about season one and tease a little bit about what's coming up in season two. Then, if you're there and you stick around to Ballroom 20, right after the Legion panel is Marvel's Inhumans panel. Uh, It will be their first time at Comic-Con, obviously, because, well... Last year, there was no Marvels and Human show. Uh, now there is. Uh, so you can uh, meet the cast, see exclusive footage from the show. Uh, should be a great time. Then Friday, July 21st, which is listed on this press release as July 21th. Oh. As a typo. Um <laughs> Uh, we've got the gifted panel from 3.45 to 4.45 p.m. Again, in Barm 20, you'll get your first uh, exclusive extended first look at the show. Uh, of course, it's coming to Fox this fall. Then, shortly after that, in Hall H, we've got the Marvel's The Defenders panel. Uh, we've got you know Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist together for the first time. Well, I, I guess technically second time on yep. stage since they were also together on, uh, on New York Comic Con. Uh, Comic-Con. Uh, plus guest stars galore. Uh, you'll just have to uh, show up to see uh, what all what what else is happening there. Mm-hmm. Then Saturday, July twenty second, from twelve thirty to one thirty p.m. in room six A, we've got the Marvel Animation Panel, which is always a great time, but. This year, we actually have two Marvel animation panels because then on Sunday, July 23rd, from 10.15 to 11.15 a.m. in room 6A, you get the first uh, Marvel animation, Marvel Spider-Man panel. Of course, uh, Marvel Spider-Man is our upcoming new animated Spider-Man show. This will be... Uh, the world premiere of the new series, so you guys can go. You can be the first to see it uh, and check it out. Uh, I've seen a little bit from the series so far. It looks fantastic. Go there, get your first look, and then uh, we have a ton of signings at the Marvel booth. Uh, I will not list them all. You can go to marvel.com, find out all about them. Uh, it should be known. Uh, the signings are tick. If you are going, the signings are ticketed events. Passes uh, are available on a first come, first serve lottery basis, beginning at 9:15 a.m. Friday, July 21st, and Saturday, July 22nd for each day's signing events. So you will want to show up early for that. Um, I think that's it for San Diego Comic Con, which is. Coming at us very quickly. Um, too quickly. Too quickly. Uh, and right before that is D23. Oh, boy. Uh, I think that's it for Marvel TV, but in the world yes. of Marvel film. We have a new movie out next week. Yes, and we had a live stream for that movie this week. I know. If you guys haven't checked it out, head to marvel.com slash Spider-Man Homecoming. You get to watch the red carpet where we talk to all the stars. Um and it was really exciting. Yes, uh, it was a really great show. Uh, go check it all out. Uh, like Christine said, marvel.com slash Spider-Man Homecoming. You can view the whole shebang again. Uh, really proud of, of how this live stream turned out. Um, 
I think it, uh, yeah, it just it looks great. Uh, I'm paying myself on the back. We're all paying ourselves <laughs> on the back. Great job, everybody. Yeah, great yeah. job, great job. And um, you'll, you'll hear more in next week's uh, mini for This Week in Marvel. Marvel, where I believe it was Lorraine who went to the press junket. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, the movie itself is in theaters a week from today, July 7th. Go out, see it. See it's it in a- IMAX. You can see it in IMAX. See it in, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a whole new chapter for uh, for Peter Parker and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes us to Marvel it, Games. Marvel Games, take it away, Christine. It's because uh, in celebration of Spider-Man: Homecoming, we have an event, a Spider-Man: Homecoming event across all of our different games. So it's across um, Marvel's Contest of Champions, Marvel Future Fight. Spider-Man Unlimited, Marvel Puzzle Quest, Avengers Academy. So in Marvel's Avengers Academy, uh, Spidey has to return because Vulture is, you know, causing a lot of mischief at the Academy. Oh, that Vulture. (laughs) Yeah, so we have a lot of different games. Um, So if you are, you know, I can't wait for the movie, you have a lot of time to kill in this upcoming week, definitely hit up our games. And then not in not related to Spider-Man, we also have Punisher 2099 entering the battle realm in Marvel's Contest of Champions. Which is bananas. I know <laughs> He I looks know, pretty awesome. I know after Executioner's song, Christine is a little um uh, she's she's ready to tap out of the nineties uh, comics uh, no, craze. I already lived it. Can't but, do it again. <laughs> but Punisher twenty nine nine man, that's rad. But yeah, that's it. Um, so now we should kick it over to This Week in Marvel. I mean, the Marvel Unlimited Reading Club. <laughs> we are kicking We are kicking it over to our I'm podcast. still delirious from everything that happened this week. Oh, I know. It's been a long week. I'd say as I yawn. All right. Thank you all for listening. Um, yeah. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We are in the part two of our epic two-part Twim URC for X-Men Executioner Song, the most uh, noteworthy and important story of the 1990s per me and Ryan. So we got all four of us on the line. We've got me. We've got Ryan. Hi. We've got Mark. We've got... Hello. <laughs> we've got Christine. Hello. So guys, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I just want to point out we we should we should say this is part two of our executioner song read through. Uh, this part features 100 percent more Professor X rollerblading than the mm-hmm. first part did. Yep, that's true. That's true. We'll get there. That's in the epilogue, of course. But uh, let's talk through this really quickly. Let's kind of talk through the second part of this. First of all, I want to get impressions. Christine, you read this for the first time. Did the second half come off as a little bit stronger to you than the first half? I do like the the second half more just because, you know, I understand some of the motivations. But I, I did tell Strom that I need to tap out from the 90s after this. <laughs> <laughs> We will never, we will never let you tap out from the nineties. <laughs> but um, the story was definitely a lot better, and um, I feel like I understand the motivations now for Strife 
Yeah, he's, well, he's just really emo. Yeah, let's talk about Stripe, the most emo villain of all time. Uh, just has some incredible monologues and junk here. He has an awesome fight with Apocalypse. He toys with Cyclops <laughs> and Jean Grey. He ultimately uh, has a showdown with Cable on the moon. Uh, Mark, mm-hmm. what were your favorite Strife moments from part two of Executioner's Song? I just, I, I had forgotten this moment uh, before I reread it, but I have to say my favorite moment was when he uh, had Cyclops and Jean running around in the space base or whatever, and then mm-hmm. he presents them with, like, their child which is yeah. like made up technology and is like, you know, kill the baby and save everyone or save everyone. And we all die it is like, is like this weird head game. He was playing with them. Although no, wait, you know what? I'm sorry. I retract that. Uh, that was my second favorite strife moment. My first favorite strife moment had to be when he was shoving food down Cyclops' yeah. throat. Amazing. At- and being like, is this how you nurture? Is this how you nurture? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the comments we got, which Ryan and I will dig into later, just talked about how Strife is really the, the spoiled, spurned child made villain. Um, and just everything. Just he's, he's so childlike. You, just, you can picture like a five-year-old getting this big armor and acting this way. It totally bears out that way with, with much more emo uh, emoting. Yeah. I also like that he did the long game. I'm going to torture two sets of parents in mm-hmm. this whole whole long process of enacting revenge on everyone who's ever wronged me my whole entire life. Mm. <laughs> so, Ryan, I want to talk to you for a sec about, uh, you know, you and I are, of course, very familiar with the story. Um, at the time, a big part of the second half of the action hinges on this great trio that was created in the first half, and that's Bishop, Cable, and Wolverine. What made it so cool to see these three characters together for at least a good chunk of the second half? I don't think we'd actually, at that point, seen all three of them together. So that was part of it, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen Wolverine and Cable in the previous year, which was uh, Extinction Agenda, and Bishop is still relatively new at that point because he was right before the McHale story, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so seeing the three of them together, which was like 90s explosion of beauty and magic and mullets and pouches <laughs> and things that explode and cut. And it it was it was just great. It was it was a pure fanboy moment, which is something we didn't really talk about much that uh, about this and event comics, like having those big blockbuster fanboy moments are really important. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was definitely a key one for this. Apocalypse plays a pretty key role in this uh, second half, and he does kind of a face turn. He kind of acts as an ally to the X Men, even if it's uh, you know just a just a matter of convenience. But he does help save Professor X's life. He's in the assault on the moon base. He has some cool moments with Archangel. Strami, what did you think of Apocalypse in this second half, and how he acquitted himself? I mean, I thought it was I thought. It was, you know, it's always interesting when you have, like, the big bad villain who then is faced with the situation of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know? And just the fact that you had Apocalypse saving Xavier and having, you know, this guy who, 
for the past, you know, six years at this point in in X-Men history had sort of just been like menacing them and trying to, you know, end the world and have mutants take over. And then all of a sudden he becomes, you know, the guy who saves the day. Like Professor X would be dead if not for him. It's, uh, I don't know. It, it, it just was interesting to see something like that play out. And particularly, love... yeah? No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and particularly Archangel's uh, role in it, yeah. where, uh, you know, everyone's basically like, well, if Warren trusts them, and then Warren sort of, like, has to blindly believe that Apocalypse is actually saving him, even when it looks like he's killing him, killing Xavier. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, there's some great Archangel Apocalypse stuff here. The The final moment they have later on the moon where... Archangel basically has the opportunity to kill Apocalypse, but doesn't do it as one of my favorite moments for him as a character. Yeah. Well, and also Archangel, uh, since we're talking about him and that moment where uh, Apocalypse saves Xavier, one thing I wanted to talk about was how awesome Archangel looked when Jay Lee was drawing him in that X-Factor issue. And, like, you just, you would just see, like, that, like, purplish outline on his face. And, like, the rest of it would just be black or, like, in shadow. Uh, yeah. It was a great way to play that moment, too, where mm-hmm. you couldn't really see what Archangel was. You couldn't see his face. He was, he was just sort of having to blindly trust Apocalypse in that moment. And you couldn't see if there was, like, doubt in there or if there was whatever it was just sort of black with that outline and it looked really incredible and it played that moment very well now christine you talked a little bit about how you better understood strife's motivations this time around how did you enjoy the scenes with strife cyclops and gene gray because we get a lot of that in this second half where it's just the three of them interacting and strife just doing those ridiculous things like strami said whether he's like force feeding cyclops or doing the yeah. whole baby trap routine. What did you think of the three of them and, and how it acquitted Strife? Well, I thought it was, like, fascinating because, um, like, I didn't know, like, the background. So it's, like, when they first come across the baby with the wires in it, um, he, you know, like, he the whole time Strife was like, oh, they're so predictable. Like, they, they're only free because I allowed them to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, you know, like, they totally surprised them when they, were willing to sacrifice themselves for this fake baby. Um, but I also love it when they realize that they are on the moon and he could have just let them just like suffocate and die instantly, but he yeah. gave them a, like a little pocket bubble of air just to let them know how much he hates them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ryan, but I, I do love like, the banter about it. Yeah. Ryan, when we were talking about the first half of this, you talked about the art a lot. Do you want to make any more comments about the uh, the artists and how they kind of really bring their A-games to this event? I, yeah, I think Stromy talked about Jay Lee a lot. And for me, Jay is, he's the, like, the high point in my mm-hmm. remembrance of the story. It, you know, his art just is the thing that I initially think about for most of my memories around it. But then, you know, Greg Capullo kind of gets better even through those three issues 
He's, Absolutely. He's Absolutely. good. He's always been good. And it's just consistently like, oh, this guy is getting better and better at his craft. So that's always cool. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's solid art. You've got um, Brandon Peterson. You've got Kubert art. It's, it's great. But man, that Jay Lee stuff is next level. The stuff Strami was talking about, that specific scene and sequence where they're basically apocalypse purges the technovirus out of Xavier is some of the grossest, most beautiful stuff that you'll see in comics anywhere. Yeah, I've always <laughs> thought about the, like, all right, so you get that shot of Xavier puking up the entire mm -hmm. techno-organic virus and all the freak out and all that stuff, but... Then at the end, when the the what's left of the virus is this like little skittering creature that <laughs> Apocalypse has to step on. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Sorry, did you have anything more to say about that? No, I just I I had forgotten about that weird little like I don't bug creature thing. Yeah, I, I just love that detail. Like, why why did it? Why did the virus? take that form and try and skitter away? Like, what is that? Have we seen that before? I don't think so. But it's just yeah. a nice little gross touch. Like, I can just see Peter David writing that and being like, mm -hmm. that'd be hilariously gross if it were if it turned into a bug and Apocalypse just squished it. <laughs> I'm, re I'm really curious to find out, and, and Ryan and I have lined up time to talk to uh, Fabian Nicieza about Executioner's Song, so that's going to be super fun. And that will be coming at you guys in a few episodes. But I'm really curious to find out how much was written by committee and how much was writer by writer. Because I want to know when a moment like that comes up, was it Peter David, you know, throwing it out there? Or was it them talking at a conference and they're like, this would be really cool. So hopefully we'll get a lot of that process stuff there. Uh, um, and, and speaking of Peter David and the art, uh, I just want to bring up one other scene from that issue, which is the scene on the moon when mm -hmm. Cyclops and uh, Jean Grey are sort of like running away and it's a page with no dialogue and no captions, which is pretty rare for 1992, um, but completely Jay Lee's art. And again, he is just using those silhouettes of Jean and, and Scott as they run away. And, you know, they're running away, they're running off breath, they're trying to find cover and that just sort of ends and you see their silhouettes just like embracing and you can see sort of like, okay, they're just resigning themselves. They know they're going to die out here and they're just embracing each other so they can die in each other's arms. It's a beautiful page. It's absolutely okay. stunning and gorgeous. And just the fact that, you know, Peter David, you know, like, like I said, like in the nineties, every single page had, even the silent pages had lots of captions. Yeah. He just completely stepped away and just let Jay do it all himself. And it was incredibly more impactful and gorgeous for it. Christine, as someone coming in for the first time, you get after we've got Professor X cured and, you know, Apocalypse is on the side of the X-Men. We have the great, uh, just all the X-Men teaming up and going to the moon and fighting the Dark Riders, this great assault on the moon base. Um, we get to see everyone doing their thing. They all get to stand up moments. They all get to look like total heroes. What were some of your favorite moments from these last two issues as they're kind of wrapping things up with the big battle? I think it was just definitely like the quieter moments where you kind of see um, the breakdown of how the events kind of affected everyone. 
like you see Jubilee really being excited and she's like, oh, all this is a thing of the past or the future or whatever. But then you have someone like Rogue who is like just kind of reevaluating everything. And I know it's because, you know, she's still feeling the effects of being injured, but she totally just like breaks down in front of um, Gambit. Right. Yeah. This is the epilogue Uh, issue you're talking about. Oh, is that the epilogue? Oh. Yeah. I'm like all a blur, but yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think it's just like kind of fascinating to realize, like for them to realize that, you know, even though there, there are all these uh, different factions that they all did unite for this common front. And especially when you have someone, Oh, I'm ready to blank on the name who was hanging out with Wolverine Bishop. Like they're like, this, like they're basically the same and like they're super beefy and super action first. Um, like people who you think would like rip each other to shreds, but they were on the same page and they did what they wanted to do. Nice. I want to get back to the blog in a sec. We'll circle back to that, but I don't want to uh, drive over this great final battle between Cable and Strife. And my, one of my favorite moments uh, is that, you know, so they've got Strife has built this force field that only allows people with the gray or summer's DNA to get into mm-hmm. it, just in case anyone was still wondering what the secret relationship between him and Cyclops and Jean Grey was. I gotta shut it down. But I love the fact that Havoc gets in without Strife having planning it, and Havoc gets that great moment where he says like, "Oh yeah, the Force Field kicked my ass for not being Scott, but I do that enough myself," and then just blasts Strife. Oh, that was great. But there's tons of great <laughs> moments in that. Uh, what did what, you think, Ryan, of the final battle? What are the high points of it? What, what stuck with you? So the thing that's always stuck with me about that one is the force field and it, like what you were talking about, like have it getting through, but not all of them getting through. I don't know why that's always been so like stuck in my brain, but that that's always been there. Um, It's cable getting destroyed, like getting really, really messed up. Uh, If I remember correctly, like strife just blasting him apart over yeah. the course of the fight. Um, and then I don't have it in front of me. Was there like this crazy montage? You know what I'm there in. I know what you're talking about. You're talking because they're in, because there's like chronal events going along around on them. They'll, they'll have little panels from like past X-Men pages and events. That was one of the cool, like visual things that, uh, Andy Kubert and Greg Capullo did. They just had like they would have like a random shot of Professor X and the Colossus from New Island right. Saga or Angel in his X Men uniform, and that would just like pop up. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. There was like this. It was almost like there was a time storm going on, and all this stuff was yeah. fluctuating. And you could. I, I took it that that was an actual visual thing that the characters were seeing, but it could have been. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, and I I just thought that was super cool. And then and I love the that way they never Cable, acknowledge it. Yeah, and the way Cable MacGyver yeah. is the ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, did, what did you guys think about the ending, Strong and uh, Christine? Uh, yeah, I mean, like like uh, like Ryan said, one of the things that stuck with me uh, from it, even from reading it at the first time around when I was a kid, was that you know cable channeling MacGyver, which I think is maybe the most 90s thing, 90s way to possibly end a big crossover like this. But I mean, it was just, it it felt like, 
it, it was just that battle, that battle between Cable and Strife. It felt like so much, you know, in retrospect, if you look back, this fight had only been building up for like a year and a half, maybe two years, but it just felt so epic and earned. Uh, well, even after the, the events of the cross, after the events of the crossover and everything he got away with, Strife just felt like the ultimate X-Men villain to me. It was crazy yeah. to me how he started the crossover as just, you know, a cable X-Force villain. By the end of this, I was like, oh my God, he's the X-Men villain. And we can talk another time about like, you know, how he never really, he's never really able to live up to the potential of Executioner's song again. This is the best story with Strife. It's like, it's his opus all at once. But it just he becomes the ultimate X-Men villain, Cable becomes the ultimate X-Men hero, and it's just two archetypes just going at it in this brilliant fight with like Ryan said, the time storm raging around it's just it's perfectly it's the most epic conclusion you can come to from this story. Yeah, and and like I say, like it just feels so after like you say, even after the events of the eleven previous eleven issues, it just feels so earned and satisfactory. Yeah. What did you think of the big conclusion, Christine, with the action stuff? And then we're going to talk about the quieter moments in the epilogue. I thought it was like a, a really interesting moment. Like when, you know, when we find out that, oh, he is totally going to make the sacrifice. And um, knowing that, you know, they all do share the summer's DNA, how they're affected by it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of having Gina and Scott kind of, not really prepare for it and having them react in that very moment. And they weren't ready for this loss at all. Yeah, and it's just like, totally. like it was like this huge sacrifice and it's definitely something that will forever change a lot of the different groups that came together in the series. Yeah. Ryan, Nothing will ever matters. be the same again. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, do you think it matters if they don't, explicitly come out and say at any point, oh, that was one of them was our son. Like, it's just super implied. Psychops being like, I lost him again. Stuff like that. But they never, I, I kind of liked that they didn't actually say it. Yeah, I think it worked. It, it was, it, it felt so, like, like you said, they did state it without stating it. And, mm. you know, it's comics. It leaves it open for them to actually hit that point home a little bit harder, which sure. they did in the coming years. Yep. yep. Yeah. All right. So does anyone have any final thoughts on Execution Song proper before we move on to the two epilogue issues? Well, I, I just like um, the thing I like about the ending is that, you know, sort of bittersweet moment like Christine was talking about where Cyclops realizes that he loses his son again. But at the same time, because they didn't outright come on and explain everything, there is that ambiguity where you don't necessarily know if it's Strife or Cable who... Yeah, that's true. That's a great point, Strami. Like, there is a way you can read this easily where Strife is Nathan and Cable is the clone. Um, And that's and that that's gotta be like like just imagining like j- just think about that like if you're Cyclops, you realize you've lost your son again, but you don't know if the son you lost was the hero or the villain. Right. You know. Yeah. So God, I mean, so that's, poetic, Strami. It, it's just it's a very complicated emotional beat, and I like that they they have that in there. 
do we want to talk about the fact that the, in the one-page epilogue to Executioner's Song, the legacy virus gets created, and it's just this beautifully understated moment? Yes. I mean... Yeah, we should, that, right? <laughs> that's like, you know, now when we have all our movies, you know, you have the post credit scene that sets up yeah. or just it is something else. This is the post credit scene that sets up the future of X-Men comics because legacy virus stuff went on for years and it absolutely yeah. totally affected the X-Men universe. And this was just a small thing. I feel like there was something that I read that they were, weren't sure about how much that was actually going to be legacy virus stuff at the beginning, but maybe I'm just misremembering something I read in the wizard when I was a kid. I'm not sure. Hmm. So, we end with the, the legacy virus thing, but then we get this great uh, epilogue issue that we included that hopefully all you guys read. The Uncanny X-Men issue. It's written by Lobdell, art by Peterson. If I'm wrong, please correct me. That's the one where we get the three different segments. We get Professor X has, because of the virus, regained the ability to walk. He goes and hangs out with Jubilee, and they go roller skating, and it's awesome. And then Gambit and Rogue have this kind of will-they-won't-they, their whole usual situation. And then Beast and Archangel uh, decide to go and try to fix Harry's hideaway, which has been destroyed by their enemies. It's just, oh, man. Christine, you were talking about it earlier, but the, the quiet moments are just, they're almost as good as anything in the crossover. Yeah. I, I really love Jubilee. And it's kind of her, even though she knows that Xavier can read her mind, she's still, like, working through, like, how she's like, you know, you're, you're not my favorite person, but, like, I understand how cruel it is that you know that you're only going to be able to walk for one, like one hour. Mm -hmm. And, and I also love that Xavier could, you know, like know what's going to happen while hanging out with Jubilee. He still goes along with it. He lets her put skates on him. You know, he like totally lets her push him in the fountain, but for him just to have this and where he's like, I would totally give everything up just so I can run again. That's like Mm -hmm. so devastating. And yeah, um, he now like gets to live for like remembering that whole hour that he had where he was normal and how much having her call him normal meant so much to him. Right. Ryan, I got to yeah. ask you, uh, what's, what's your take on Gambit in this issue? <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even think about Gambit in this issue. Yeah. He's up there and he's, you know, trying to be a nice guy, whatever, whatever. My favorite part is the Harry's hideaway stuff. I, yeah, I loved it when I was a kid. It was always just like it's such a great X Men moment. But then rereading it now, I was like, how the hell did they rebuild that bar with just the two of them overnight? It was trash. Uh, I think the answer is Shi'ar technology. Obviously, <laughs> that's always the answer. That's how they do everything. I, I, I believe the answer is comics. Everybody, Fair. <laughs> could be cool. All right. Well, I want to I want to wrap things up totally. Does anyone have anything else to say about the epilogue issue before we uh, go to our final thing? I, I just want to say about the epilogue issue that it really shows. You know, I mean, Lobdell. I think lots of people remember Lobdell's runs for like a lot of the uh, you know, uh, you know, the fact that plot lines were sort of being thrown out willy nilly and sometimes resolved, sometimes not. But this issue really shows Lobdell's strengths and what he really brought to the X-Men is these quiet moments. He was fantastic at writing these quiet character beats, whether it be 
In this issue, we talked a lot about the first issue of the last time, the entire of the entire uh, crossover, with a lot of those moments, like with Gene and Scott and all of them. Um, like he he really fleshed. He really he I don't know. He just brought. I mean, obviously, Chris Claremont had done a ton of work in the 17 years prior to this on these characters, but there was something that was slightly more human about the characters when Lobdell was writing them and writing them in these quiet character moments uh, that I just think is fantastic. And this issue and a few issues later, uh, the issue 303 when Ilyana dies uh, are, you know, some of my, they're, they're just great. They're great character moments. They're great character issues. There's almost no action. Uh, but they're just fantastic. Absolutely. Well said, Strami. Good case for uh, Scotty Lobdell, who also is known a lot for his humor writing, but does some really cool, serious pieces yeah. here, I think. Um, Ryan, you, when you and I were talking, I can't remember if it was on the podcast or it was off the podcast, so I'm going to make you do it again. You had the best description of what Stripe Strike File is. Can you please sum up uh, what you're reading when you're reading Stripe Strike File? Crap. What did I say? You were talking about how it's basically his diary. <laughs> yes, yeah. It, the Strike Strike File is his diary, and because it, it's all in his voice, it's basically mm-hmm. what he's been compiling as he's gotten back to the time, like the present, quote unquote, time. And he's just like so sassy, so opinionated, so like <laughs> throwing shade, and it's it's such a Mean Girls type of thing. I love it. See, I wanted I wanted to get that description. It was perfect. Christine, what did, you, did you read Star Trek Files, or were you tapped out at this point? No, I did. You did. I, I, read, I did. I wanted to see what um, the thoughts were, but also to help me match the face and the names to every single person I read for the there entire was on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we probably should have told Christine to read that first. <laughs> no, that takes well, away the fun well, of it. Or... I was yeah. like, what is everyone's relationship to each other? Uh, yeah. But no, it's awesome, like really awesome just to see like how he ranks what their levels were and just like how kind of like dismissive he was. Um, totally. But also just even seeing like the last couple panels where, you know, like Xavier has it and like what, like what he was planning to do with the files. <laughs> All right, guys, final thoughts on Executioner's Song, the whole Miguel Astrami. You can go first. Still the greatest X-Men epic ever created. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. I'll, people will tell you, oh, Dark Phoenix Saga, oh, Days of Future Pets. Uh, none of them all can. <laughs> no, it's, execu- yeah, it's all Executioner's Song. Well said, well said. Christine, uh, final thoughts? Even though I told Strom the whole time, why did I volunteer to read this whole <laughs> mega crossover? Um, it was definitely strong, and I think it also gave me more perspective to like just like the little like moments in the history of of all the X Men and the choices that they made, and how um, people aren't black and white. There's a lot of things that really build upon each of the characters. Nice. Ryan, you want to take us home? Yeah, I, I will mirror what Strami said. It is the greatest 
probably the greatest comic book story of all time. Um, it might be. It's definitely my favorite. I'll say that much. Yeah, easily up there with Infinity Gauntlet for me is my favorite, and it it's a testament to the X Men and all the X Men stories that we have. The three of us have this as our favorite X Men story, uh, but yeah. you also have people who have. Um, Age of Apocalypse as their favorite X-Men story or Dark Phoenix Saga or, you know, whatever. There's so many, so many of them that mm-hmm. stand that test of time. And this one, I think, you know, it gets a lot of flack for being the 90s and being, you know, gluttonous and all this other stuff, whatever, whatever. It's for us, at least, it stood the test of time and it was so much fun to reread. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks for uh, reading the you? future song. What do I? What I think I agree, man. I think it holds up just as epic. I think a lot of the stuff we touched on was so important. We talked about the art and how the art is just stuck with us, the uh, individual moments. But for me, it's the little character moments. It's Archangel deciding that, like not to kill Apocalypse, like I mentioned. It's Havoc um, making it through the Force Shield, but saying he, you know, he's not Scott. Um, it's all the good stuff with Cable and with Strife and everybody. It's little things it's cannonball uh getting to put his uniform back on to go lead the mission against the mlf and then everyone else in x-force being pissed at him it's just so many good things everyone gets great moments there's there's that moment where um colossus is like digging a hole in the front yard and oh yeah inner monologue about how bondi is his brother's dead and then guido shows up and says that he's he's got some coffee with little jack daniels in it and Colossus asks him, what the, what's the good news? And he goes, good news is I put way too much Jack D in this. Like, <laughs> little things like that are so good. And this is packed with them right down to the final moment of the crossover with the, uh, the legacy virus introduction. So I just think it's a great big story filled with little moments that are just perfect. And we didn't even, we, we couldn't in five episodes cover everything that happened in execution or something, but I think we did a pretty good job. I, I did. All right. I want to close you out with one uh, little detail that I particularly loved uh, when rereading this, which was at the end of the last Sex Factor issue, uh, as that big caption at the bomb that's like, uh, follow the story as it wraps up here and here, and then come back uh, next month as we introduce our newest artist, Joe Casada. And it's yeah. like, <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe was like one month away from being involved in the greatest X-Men story of all time. Yeah, he just messed up. Yeah, I think we talked about it. We might have talked about it the last time we were all together, but in, I think it's Fabian wrote the intro to the collection from 1994, and he did mention that Joe was at the summit where they were talking about oh. this right beforehand. Oh, so because cool. he was just about to come on for... Uh, for the for the run right after this, he was involved. That's something Ben we should talk with Fabian about. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, cool. All right, guys. So uh, let's let's uh, let's put a bow on execution song for now. We can always revisit in the future. Ryan and I will revisit with Fabian. But thank you guys for uh, reading, and let's head on over to find out what you guys all thought about it.
And we're back. We're back. We wow. did it. A lot of good stuff packed in there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're just going to do the question comments yeah. together. Yeah. Roll, ride, right. ride, ride, ride or, or die. die. Ride or die, man. Let's uh, do it. That's what they say in the Avengers. Yep. All right. First up, we've got uh, <laughs> from Jesse Delia saying, hey, me and my Radcast had tweets that didn't make the cutoff for part one. Hopefully, we'll make it into part two. Well, guess what, Jesse? I personally curated all of the tweets here. So you made it in. My rad cast made it in. Everyone made it in. None of that lazy Alex Lopez garbage. Yeah. Screw that guy. Except yeah. when he's except filling when in for you yeah. soon. Yeah. Very Great. Soon. <laughs> um, all right. So um, Jesse says, Reaper calls Gambit Rassum Frassum Gumbo Jackass. How big is a smile on the face of Agent M at that name? Pretty great. It's pretty pretty, pretty great. Yeah. Um, it's a good, it's just a, just a good nickname. <laughs> Um, my wife made, cause she's from Louisiana. Yep. She made us uh jambalaya. Yeah. Um, not gumbo cause it's a little too hot for gumbo, but okay. man, you can never have enough jambalaya. Mm. Woo. It's the best. <laughs> All right. Uh, the word Phoebes is getting tossed around a lot. Is that supposed to be a slang for calling someone feeble? I believe so. Phoebe. That was a staple of the nineties X-Men. <laughs> yeah. Phoebe was like classic nineties X-Men, like put down, like you're such yeah. a Phoebe. Yeah. It was uh, right up there with flat scan. So I was going to say flat scan, mm-hmm. huge. And that is like uh, a term for someone who's not a mutant. This right. is like a very derogative term. Mm-hmm. And uh, MVP, gonna say MVP, the wrestler. uses it all the time. Yes. <laughs> and like, even when he was here, yep. where he was rolling by, he was talking about how he loves using that now. people flat scans. It's the best. It's um, all right. <clears throat> Having read this years uh, this years ago and knowing now Stripe's reasons for torturing Scott and Jean uh, was so emo and as a preteen <laughs> it was my jam. That's amazing. Uh, Stripe Jess- is the most emo villain of all. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, Jesse says uh, the favorite speech and shot from this crossover quote a babe with need of sucker. You get that vengeance, Strife. And there was a shot of Strife basically just monologuing, which I took out because I didn't want to copy and paste it. Sorry. <laughs> and then this quote, uh, quote, as you are the devil of yesterday who haunts my tomorrows, I am the demon of tomorrow who has, who has come for cold retribution. So good. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Love it. It's all It's all good. Yeah. All good. Um. Let's see. Jesse says, I know Apocalypse was in a weakened state, but Strife tossing him around like a ragdoll was still awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think back to Executioner's song, this Strife and Apocalypse fight is what I remember most. I love that Great fight. fight. Drawn by Greg Capullo. Yeah. And uh, Strife just being so angry at the end. like yep. he ki- He's like, this was it. This was the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. Ugh. That's great. Um, like my fellow Twimmers, I also want the mouthwash mm. gun on Cable's ship. Yeah. Uh, in X-Force 17, when visiting the X-Mansion, he may be beaten and dying, but Apocalypse still has strength to dramatically <laughs> monologue. Everyone yeah. has strength to dramatically monologue. That's what the 90s X-Men was all about. Yeah. So good. Uh, the message strife leaves the X-Men. You are smart, but I am smarter. Beast calls a child's taunt, which is very telling. Yep. Uh, so much of Strife's dialogue and actions are totally that which stem from childhood trauma, thus making the story even more tragic. Mm-hmm. And then Cable half naked and being mocked by Strife for being a shell of a human is so powerful. Pretty, yeah. It, uh, uh, so good. Also good. This so held good. up, man. Yeah. Especially the second half of this held up because, I, I mean, I know we talked about it already extensively yeah. with the four of us, so I'm yeah. not going to get into it, but it's, just, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for picking Executioner Song. You all rock. Can't wait to hear what newbies think of it. All right, let's go over to Jim Radloff, my radcast. 
Shatterstar is pretty quick to accuse people of betraying mutants. Did we know he was a mutant at this point? We did. We always knew Shatterstar was a mutant. But he was a different kind of mutant because he was a genetically engineered. He was a Mojoverse mutant, Yeah, right? Mojoverse mutant. So yeah. he was a mutant the same way Longshot was a mutant. So a little bit different. Mm. Uh, love reading the ads in these issues. I forgot that this was just before the X-Men cartoon debuted. Also, X-Men Alert was awesome. Do you know what X-Men Alert is? It's the board game, right? Yes. And I... With a, was it a VHS board game? No. No. It has these great little figures of the X-Men uh-huh. who can traipse around it. Um, it was sitting in my... I, it was at my childhood home. Mm-hmm. I brought it to my house in Jersey. And then when we had our yard sale a few weeks ago... Uh, we sold it. You sold it. We sold X Men Alert. You. I know. How, it was, that could have uh, come here. We could have uh, used it on uh, for the Marvel Gaming Show. I, when we do tabletop I, gaming. Uh, it was. It was a very incomplete game. It That's was missing fair. pieces and cards and everything. All right. Um, I actually, you know what? Now that I recall, we didn't sell. It. We ended up giving it to Goodwill because no one bought it. So <laughs> someone out there is going to enjoy X Men the board game. Okay. That's my point. It all, all right. ended up in a good place. Very good. But it would have been better to bring here. Yeah. And I blew it. Also, shout out to Jim who. Is probably reading this on with, through the comics to yeah. looking seeing the yeah, the original be. ads because yeah, I don't think cool. we have the the no, ads. No, not on uh, Marvel Unlimited. Hmm. Yeah. Um, odd how the X Men putting X Force in uniforms is so rare. New clothes for prisoners mean they can't hide weapons. That's right. They put them in the blue and gold uh, yeah. warm up suits. Yeah. Uh, how can we tell X Force are good guys? Too bad we can't ask that telepath on the next page. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't yeah. poke hey, holes. Dragonus. Her only weakness is the stupid wing she gave herself. Gotta laugh at villains like that. Yeah, that line too. That line from uh, I think it's Rogue or Storm or Psylocke. Easily, who's but but they're also like. So her only power is uh, the the little like bio stings. Yeah, the bio stings, and like she feels uh, she felt. Like she wasn't good enough, so, so she, she yeah, had so to, she had to it, get wings. It is stinging and brutal it's and so sad. Nice. It's so yeah. great. Yeah, Dragonus was in Avengers Alliance. Remember that? Right, she that was, was crazy. That was one of the deep cuts. What a deep cut, of Avengers Justin. Alliance. Um, I also like how easily the X Men defeat the Mutant Liberation. Team. Oh yeah, they yeah. just like tear through them. They're like, were these guys really giving you X Force idiots trouble over yep. all this time? Um, every time I see MLF, which is Mutant Liberation Front, I have to remind myself they're not the multilateral force of the Cold War. Yeah, me too, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, for a supposed staple of 90s X-Men, there's surprisingly little of Cyclops yelling Jean's name. <laughs> well, that was mostly in the cartoon, That was, the cartoon. Right? That yeah. was almost entirely the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, I love Ka- – a bunch of people brought this up. I love Cable's computer stopping Wolverine smoking. We could use those on Earth. The annoyance would distract people from cravings. Yep. Part 8, Professor X is shot in the chest. Part 8, it was his head. Someone get Oliver Stone. Well, I think it, it spread. Part, yeah. Oh, yeah. so part one. Oh, he meant part say, one. Yeah. Professor X was shot in the chest. Part eight, it was his head. What happens, or, though. Very, very, sorry. At some point, he was shot in the chest, and at another point, he was shot in yeah, the Yeah, there's definitely reference of him. They say they shot him in the head. Yeah. And then there's others yeah. shot him in the chest. I don't know. Uh, yeah. We didn't edit this thing. Um, I wish we had. That would have been a great <laughs> yeah. achievement. Um, Preteen uh, us trying to edit comics. <laughs> Apocalypse breaks into the X Mansion to ask them for help. Could have called, but I somehow doubt he even owns a phone. Very astute. Yeah. Um, the idea of Apocalypse pointing out a cell phone is now just like so, great even me. better. Although, although cell this, phones didn't exist at, at this point. Well, they would have been the giant, the giant a big bulky cell phone. Or cell better phones. yet, Apocalypse going over to like his kitchen, picking yep. the the picking phone up the landline, and then like a rotary, rotary phone. dialing the X Men. Yep, <laughs> love it. Oh, man, we should have edited this. Um, Apocalypse says the X-Men need to trust him because a group of their friends are prisoners, but they are prisoners of the X-Men. Interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, best sound effect of executioner song, Fwaka Funt. No idea what that would really sound like. Fwaka Funt. I wonder if Strife is being over the top on purpose or Apocalypse just didn't teach him to speak like a normal person. Um, I don't care. It's great. Yeah. So does Strife not know that his Cable's mother is Madeline, not Jean? I don't think he cares. doesn't matter. It's the same thing to yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Penelope Piquette says, getting ready to read part two, uh, X-Men 15. I had forgotten about the villain forearm with his forearms. Forearms. Yeah. yeah. There's a great shot. I think it's a Jay Lee page with forearm holding Archangel. Yeah. Uh, I just, I've always, every time I look at it, it hurts my brain because it just, it looks weird, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it looks so cool. Mm. Um, X-Force number 17. Strife's quote, you owe me for everything that's gone wrong in my life sounds petty bringing epic down to a human level i like everyone who made the observation that strife is essentially a child yeah he's is a child in armor who's a villain yep he will he's just like perpetually stuck in childhood yeah uh gray malkin <laughs> gray malkin's no smoking policy enforcement made me smile people love that the red the lettering here feels like comic craft at their most comic craft hmm. uh almost they weren't like, I think if you go a couple years later... Age of Apocalypse was them at their most comic. Age character. of Apocalypse and Heroes Reborn. Yep. Heroes Reborn, like... Yeah. Oh, and Onslaught. Onslaught. Onslaught yeah. was very comic. So character. good. So classic. Yep. Uh, I like that this issue slowed down and took the time to let me get to know characters a bit. Uncanny 296, Jean sacrificed her life for Scott. Seems unfair in hindsight, given his wandering eye slash affections. Cyclops is the worst. Hey, but you know what? Gene's great. Yep. Gene is better than everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Strife keeps dropping hints about his past. Was that a mystery or did fans from the time have known what he meant? It was like the worst kept mystery in the world, as I recall. Like, we all knew it. it did was... we no, Did we know it because of story reasons or because we were reading Wizard or, you know, Comic Buyer's Guide read, or I whatever? Re- I wasn't reading Wizard or any of those things at the uh-huh. time, and I definitely like put two and two together that this is clearly their kid. Yeah. I don't remember. Like, okay. I don't remember how I, I felt like, I, I mean, I, don't, I didn't really have many other friends who were reading comics at the time, mm. but like the ones I, I think it was common knowledge mm. or it was just assumed. And it was just like, please confirm this. Like, <laughs> just stop playing with us. Uh, Strife's message and earlier whining comments really help reinforce a sense that yep. his heart, uh, that at his heart, he's coming from a place of that's immaturity. What was, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Uh, that's not a criticism. It seems completely intentional. Oh, to- totally. How does Strife being older than them preclude Scott and Gene from having done something to affect him? That makes no sense. Yeah, but you know, you're in there in the heat of the moment. They're yeah. you know they're dealing with all this stuff. Yeah, they don't know all of the the. the they details. can't put everything together. Yeah. Uh, finally, listening to the first part of Twim URC, just want to say that I. Didn't spoil the story for myself yes. on Wikipedia. Good Thank job. Thank you, Penelope Cat. Uh, I literally forgot everything I read online about Strife, so it's okay. X-Factor number 86. Why is Scott and Gene being on the moon any more far-fetched than anything <laughs> else we've seen? Because, you know, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, just grow with it. Yeah. The silent page of Scott and Gene on the moon is gorgeous. Another that Jay Lee, Lee page. Yep, another uh, Jay Lee page. I always, her pose, like it's it's like a dance pose, but it's also like... Yeah, isn't it when she has like, like her hands up like this? Yeah. Falling backwards. Uh, I yeah, love it so crazy. much. Um, not a knock at the other writers, but nobody writes funny banter like Peter David. That's yeah, not a knock. Master. That's he's Peter. the master. Yeah, I mean, you see it to this day. He's yeah. still crushing it. Killing it in Ben Riley. Uh, X-Men number 16. Anytime you can include a best there is of what they do line, you need to include it. 
Um, I'm glad even Strife gets that his analogies are awkward. <laughs> Doesn't stop him from talking, though. Never. Oh, no, no. no. He, the best part is he loves to talk. He talks, 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 talks. And Zero is like the only person he hangs out with and doesn't talk back. Yeah. It's just, You know that Zero is just like all the time, just like this effing guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, where are we? All right, X-Force 18, stab your eyes. Now, yeah. That's X-Men dialogue. That's the stuff. Oh, yeah. That's when they did When they did the... Messiah war crossover that brought Strife back didn't Chris Yost? I'm pretty sure he, he made sure to include. I think we even talked Sabbath. to Chris. Yeah, about we that. said to Chris, we're like, look, if you're bringing Strife back, and yeah. he said yes, we'll definitely be there. Yeah. Um, Uncanny 297 was quote unquote dolt really slang in the 90s. I'm old, but I didn't think it was that old. Don't recall it. I remember yeah. Phoebes. Yeah, not yeah, that. I was just saying, oh, dolt. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, gotta admit, it's been a stressful weekend, and I'm not entirely un- unsure what Cable did to beat Strife. Mm. Uh, you know, he pulled the old uh, time travel explosion. Is he just thing. like open like a wormhole, basically? Essentially, so tosses them yeah, back. Yeah, he time. has like in his arm and yeah. stuff like things that go time bloop, travel bloop, bloop. elements. Yeah, it's good. It's all yeah. it's all good. Uh, having said that, Penelope Cat says, "Well, I might have been too unfocused to get the details. I get he sacrificed himself to defeat him. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, the emotional beats worked for me. The only thing that didn't work for me about this was I." remember that it was like oh my god cable and strife are dead or whatever but they'd already solicited the cable series so you knew he was going to be back that yeah. was like one of the first instances of solicits just ruining everything oh oh but, but you know how many of how many people at that time were getting pre i know i was getting i was getting the big previous catalogs yeah. and stuff and paying attention I wasn't but, getting the previous catalog but somehow i knew that cable was coming so maybe i was reading wizard at the time i yeah. don't know hmm. this was a long time ago Yes. Um, all right. Overall, Penelope Cat says, I enjoyed the second half of Executioner's Song more than the first. Hmm. I feel like there were more character moments in that half. Yeah, the second half is the stronger half by far. Yeah. No question. The first half felt very much like one X-Men versus X-Men fight after another and kind of wore thin after the first couple. I think it's also not a coincidence that part two, you have a lot more strife in it. Like, it's not as much. We, we have the apocalypse and mr sinister kind of set up bits in the first part but the second part is just strife as the main villain and he just clicks and so much of what makes execution song great is how great a villain strife is yeah but i, I also think it helps that we don't have him all the way like there's not a ton of them at the beginning you right. build up build up exactly build up, so he becomes such this exactly. important force yeah i think it's a really greatly structured event it's like, absolutely yeah to this day. uh penelope gets says the second half felt more like it had the x-men going after a more clearly defined goal which made it more palatable to me mm-hmm. it also felt like the story took the time to occasionally breathe and show who these characters were which helped me feel invested mm-hmm. does the story clearly explain the connection between strife and cable and i missed it because i was just too tired and stressed no they would they would get more explicit about the connection between strife and cable in future cable stories after this yes uh, I didn't get a chance to read Strife Strike Files, oh. so if more stuff is explained there, I didn't, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's certainly not. It is. It is basically <laughs> Strife's monologues. Yep. Just ty- it's basically Typed his out. diary yeah. about characters. It's so good. He's like, oh, I've got this. I found this picture of Wolverine on Wikipedia. I'm gonna put it in my <laughs> dot no my scrapbook. At that time. Right, it's Strifepedia. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna put it in my scrapbook, and here I'm gonna write a little poem about oh, him, and boy. I'm just gonna like, oh, I hate you, I love you, blah blah blah. It's, the best great. it is worth taking the time to read definitely yeah go back even though you're not going to get your comments on read on the air just go back and read strike strike files yes and then tweet us with this week in marvel so we'll read your comments yeah. anyways uh i did like the epilogue issue it should be clear i'm a sucker for the quieter character moments absolutely oh and that Love one the that one is so good. so good i my only request slash complaint would be if that covered all 
like if we had that for all the books. Absolutely. You know, like I would like to have seen the repercussions very specifically tied to the event. Yeah. For all the teams. X-Force you get a little bit a really, of it. X-Force yeah. has a really good Fallout issue, too. I remember. It's it's one of my favorite issues of all time. It's called uh, The Closed Fist and the Open Hand. Interesting. Is the name of the story. I'll uh-huh. always, like, it's burned into my brain. Hmm. It's the one where Cannonball basically, you, they, they check in with all the people, members of X-Force, find out what Cable's supposed to death means to them. It's a Greg Capullo John issue. It's Fabian ACA's are writing. And it's Cannonball basically making the case to Xavier of this is why you need to let us go and be out on our own. It's really, really. I good. may have to read that. It's just on my really own. good. You should definitely. I wonder if we have it on MU. We do. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's it's the X Force issue right after Executioner's Song. It's excellent. It's one of my favorite single issues of all time. Hmm. Okay. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Penelope Cat says I'm not a particular fan of Jubilee, but I like my scene, the scenes with her and Xavier. They made a great pair, and I remember they would pair them off uh, occasionally throughout the 90s mm. after this which should always be fun yeah the other week I talked about this not being my X-Men era and it still still feels a little alien to me after reading the whole story I can definitely see a through line from the 80s Claremont era to this one it's an evolution for sure I think when I am inclined to reread X-Men on MU I'm still going to read the 80s stuff I love but won't shy, shy away from the 90s nice. this is the perfect example of why I love Twim YRC it yes. points me to stories that I might not have read and I hear why other fans love them Hooray, Penelope Cat! Thank you so much, thank and you I so hope so much. Great comments from Penelope Cat. Yeah, and yeah. I hope um, whatever was stressing you out and, and yeah. getting you down uh, worked out in your favor, and everything's Absolutely. okay. Finally, Chadwick says something that uh, a bunch of people have already commented on, but we get this: it's uh, gross. Gambit and Wolverine are both smoking in the ship. Then again, people smoked in restaurants when this was written. And that's our final comment on Executioner Song. Yeah. Until we talk to Fabian Nicieza for episode three hundred. Which I gotta make happen. Yeah, I'll make it happen. Yeah, fun. we should talk to him about I don't know other things. X Men, Deadpool, Deadpool, X Men. Yeah, it's Fabian. He's we great. Are, he's so are, easy. He's so easy to talk to. He's, and he just did so much cool stuff in the '90s. He wrote all the cool stuff. I know. So good. He's the yeah. best. The best. Ugh. This episode was the best. Yeah, this is a long job. one. So how long is? Thanks for hanging this, in there. Yeah, how long is just this segment? Uh, this segment is almost 30 minutes of just oh, the questions and comments. Incredible. So we did it, guys. We gave it all to you for free. <laughs> Damn it, Ben. <laughs> it's always going to be free. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, why not? This is Marvel, your universe. Marvel.